and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and I thank you for joining me once again to say sayonara to another games industry member as they get ready to embark on their final journey to the deserted place for the 52nd time. And joining me this week to be said banished games industry member is, I would say, or some would say, a beloved member of the UK games media, (laughs) affectionately known by the nickname Bratters. Having started his games media career at Video Gamer as a video producer, working alongside the likes of Matt Lees, Simon Miller, and Steve Burns, all former guests of Final Games, may I add, my guest made a name for himself making excellent and funny video content that definitely made the rounds on social media and the like. My guest left his position at Video Gamer in January 2015, to then a month later, in February, join the incredibly popular UK games website, Eurogamer, as part of a newly formed video team focusing on kickstarting Eurogamer. Gamer's YouTube channel. Since then, working as a video producer, my guest has been creating video content on a whole host of subjects for Eurogamer's YouTube channel. His latest video series, Here's a Thing, looks into some of the more unknown or downright earth-shattering facts about video games, some such as a childhood ruining information about catching Pokemon. I'm very happy to say that my guest this week is Eurogamer's lovely Mr. Chris Bratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Liam. That was an absolutely fantastic introduction. Not only do you know my career better than I do, but you said <laughs> lots of nice words, so thank you. It's okay. It's my pleasure to have you here. Chris, you make some of the best videos I, I, that I enjoy watching. You make the kind of content I like to know, which is like facts and trivia and stuff that I've not really heard about or that other people do. So it's great to have you here. Cool. That's a nice way of saying... I mean, uh, Yeah, the Here's a Thing series is mostly just weird anecdotal stuff that you probably don't really need to know about games but i yeah <laughs> I prefer stuff, how you said it. <laughs> stuff that maybe you don't really need to know but stuff that is definitely interesting you're like huh huh i never really thought about that before <laughs> yeah that's 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 the noise that i go for if i can get that noise from someone watching that's that's a win well chris it's as i said it's excellent to have you here uh how are you doing today uh you have spent the 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 past few days in france um did you have a nice easter Oh, Liam, you only know that I spent the last few days in France because we tried to record this at an earlier date and it was awful. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was good. It was nice to get away from from like day to day work and civilization because my parents live in the, just the middle of nowhere. However, the downside of that is just apparently they're, they're cool with not having an Internet connection. Just like <laughs> full stop. Like they don't. That's that's all right with them. And so I, I'm kind of. Yeah, I was freaking out a little bit and it made trying to record this a couple of days ago extremely entertaining for both of us. Yes, it was a, a battle back and forth <laughs> between trying to sort some solutions out. But we're here now and we are doing it. Uh, so it's all good. It's uh, finally time to do this. Um, I mean, all you were doing was basically delaying your inevitable destiny, which is to head to a deserted <laughs> island. So I can appreciate that, trying to hold that yep. off. Did you get a chance to play any games or did you take anything with you to play in the solace of the French countryside? Uh, no, I didn't really play anything. I, I only had a few days with my uh, family. I don't get to see them that often, so I tried to avoid spending too much time uh, with games. Stuff. I did end up reading uh, Masters of Doom. I don't know if you've ever read that. Yeah, that's um, the... Uh, John. I haven't read it, but I know about it, yeah. Yeah, the story of John Romero and John yeah. Comack and how they created a new kind of like culture within games, and, and that was really cool, and I enjoyed reading that, but I tried to, outside of reading about them, not be too invested in games for a few days. (laughs) Try and stay away from video games for once. (laughs) Well, we are here to talk about video games, but (laughs) before that, 
Um, let's talk a little bit about you then. And as we said in the introduction, we have gone kind of through your career already, but tell us uh, sort of how you got started in the video games industry to being where you are now, being sort of this uh, face of Eurogamer, which is, you know, such an incredibly renowned site, not only in the UK, but in the world as well. Um, being the sort of face of the YouTube alongside Johnny and Aoife and that kind of thing. Um, how did you start making content for, you know, the video games industry? I actually told this story a, a couple of weeks ago because we uh, just launched, well, we're hoping to launch a new internship ski in Eurogamer and we did a little panel at one of at EGX in London. And I, I, I was sitting next to Wes and Ollie, uh, my editor and my deputy editor, who, who both had these amazing stories about how they got into games. And mine's really crap by comparison. It's, yeah, it's very <laughs> YouTube. Um, but the, I can trace back the, like, why I ended up doing this job to the fact that when I used to play World of Warcraft um, at a younger age and I used to play it on a Mac, um, I think I... I probably only had a Mac because I just thought they looked cool. I was just a complete like idiot and didn't understand uh, just technology or hardware or anything. And so far, like to an extent that the only reason I ended up getting like falling in love with video work and YouTube uh, to an extent is that you could press like within the World of Warcraft version on a Mac, there was an inbuilt function to record video. I think it was like F11. If you pressed it, it would just record like whatever you were doing and you tapped it again to stop. Like you didn't need any software. You didn't need to like install Fraps <laughs> or like uh, open broadcaster software or any of those things, which like we take for granted today. But like had I needed to do that, I probably wouldn't have like even um, started. And yeah, like there was some inbuilt like video software on like, that came with, with most Macs at, at, during that time period. iMovie, still have fond memories of iMovie and it's wonderful host of... Uh, <laughs> transitions and just oh i was a big fan of the star wipe i'll tell you that and i'm glad yeah, you I, sort of progressed beyond that now we don't see too without. many star wipes in the Eurogamer videos um but yeah it, it genuinely started uh, right there and i just um started I, I think like one evening uh i my friends hadn't logged on i was just messing around with this new like the fact that i could make little crappy videos and then edit them and see what happened and show them to people and try and make them laugh, very rarely succeeded there. But um, from there, just started making a lot of like fairly basic videos about World of Warcraft. It's a game I was really invested in at the time, really enjoyed, had a, a cool sense of community around it as well. So you could, felt like you could be part of that with a, a YouTube channel. And um, yeah, like I used to make like really just boring, like how to make gold in World of Warcraft videos and, and like how to beat this boss or like how to play a shadow priest. No one wanted to play shadow priest. That video did really badly. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I sort of, I, as, as much as anything, re like fell in love with like actually making videos on YouTube and the, the whole process of like building a, a small like number of subscribers around what you're making and, and try, try to like figure out like a lot of the stuff that I still think about today, like titling and like uh, cool ways of uh, playing around with the editing software and just like it was all sort of self-taught, but I really enjoyed that process. So it was like a and good combination of it was a subject you already liked, which was video games. But then you sort of found an interest in video editing as well. So it wasn't so yeah. much. It could have been maybe any subject like. After yeah, a while. I, th I think so. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and in, in fact, that that's what happened. Like, eventually, I, I sort of fell out of World of Warcraft um, after the the Wrath of the Lich King expansion was amazing. But after that, I sort of um, my interest waned slightly. But I really enjoyed making this video um, stuff, and so sort of transitioned from that into more general games things like reviews and and like funny videos. None of which you can find anymore, thankfully. Uh, they <laughs> they've all been erased from. Oh God! If any of that stuff was still around, I, it would. I get crucified for it, um, but but like, yeah, it, it was um, the 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 process of just like, you have to make a lot of crap stuff before you really figure out what your voice is. I don't think I figured out what my voice was until um, a year or two into working at Video Gamer actually, and but it's it's all part of that process, and it meant that when a job did come up, uh, when uh, a sort of junior video position came up at Video Gamer in uh, twenty twelve, I guess is that right? God, I've been doing this for a while. 2013 maybe. Um, and then I had a bunch of videos to show show them straight away and, and sort yeah. of blag my way into an interview as much as anything. Uh, so that that was it really. Like I I I really come from the YouTube side of things. Um, I think since being at Eurogamer, I've I've now got uh, my interest in in sort of journalism and reporting has has sort of taken the lead. But I really did start from like I like making videos on YouTube, uh, which I think is a what you know in in the sort of the current state of the media is where a lot of yeah, a lot of the, the new talent is going from, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, because you're sort of that first of the new generation, kind of, I mean, essentially, if you're going to get hired now as a video anything, editor, producer, on-camera, host, or something, if you don't have a YouTube channel and you don't already have videos going or something like that, you, you, you're so far behind everyone else anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, the, the tools are so easily uh, available now. <laughs> you don't have to rely on <laughs> an inbuilt video uh, recorder function for, for World of Warcraft. Like, that stuff is, like, uh, open broadcaster software, which is what I use, like, on a day-to-day -day basis, is uh, freely available to anyone. You, yeah. The, some of the video editing software can be a little pricey, but, um, you know, there are subscription packages or, like, cheaper alternatives that you can find. Like, it is, it's never been easier to start doing that stuff from your bedroom. Um, and I think, yeah, like that, that if, you, if, if people are trying to get into... A role like that right now they need they need a, a entire portfolio of their own work by this stage to uh to even get your foot in the door because exactly everyone can do it and i was gonna say because you started out making videos and stuff but now at eurogamer you know eurogamer being this website famous for writing uh essentially uh, not so much for video for a long time until they made mm -hmm. the new video team um you have written reviews uh reports uh previews news all that sort of stuff for eurogamer um how did you sort of then develop your were you already a good writer or was that something that was a learning process um because it must have been tough for Eurogamer maybe to trust someone who is mostly used to making videos and not so much yeah, a writer sure. um to you know write reviews on you you wrote like the Overwatch review and yeah um, that was you know those big titles that are gonna have massive hits and stuff like that um how did how did you develop those skills and, and get to doing that kind of stuff so I'd actually, um, I had, I, I studied journalism at university, but oh, okay. you're right, at, at, um, at Video Gamer, I, I was doing very little written stuff um, by comparison. I think it's it's mostly just from, from working in, in this office around the writing team and on a day-to-day on -day basis, just uh, we we talk through ideas constantly and um, 
I think particularly working around the news team at Eurogame, which is in really, really good shape at the moment and uh, has done a, a bunch of really big stories over the last couple of years since I've been here. And I've just wanted to be sort of involved in that in some way. And so just uh, we try and have this approach at the site where uh, everyone has their own sort of individual patches when possible. So for me, that's often like strategy games. Um, I did yeah. all the XCOM stuff uh, beforehand and, and ended up taking over a lot of the Overwatch coverage in the build up to its launch. So uh, for the Overwatch review, for example, it was it was mostly the case that I'd just been sort of I've been covering that game from the very start. And it just sort of made sense, um, I, but yeah, oh I, yeah. Basically, I just give my writing to Christian Dunlan, and he makes it much, much better than <laughs> like I deserve. <laughs> like a filter to make it better. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, how are you finding that? Do you enjoy now the same, the writing and the video, or are you still mostly focused on? Oh, I love making videos. Uh, I've got so many ideas for new videos and that kind of thing. Or do you enjoy balancing your time between the two now? I, I enjoy doing a little bit of both. I think my my, um, my main drive is is video stuff. Um, I just I yeah. But in terms of presentation, I just really enjoy it. Um, but the I mean, there's a, quite a lot of writing goes into uh, script work for video stuff. So there's there's still elements of that involved. And I guess. Uh, for certain, like more day-to-day -day sort of reporting, uh, writing just makes more sense. Like for 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 if if a new story crops up in in one of the the areas, one of the patches that I'm trying to cover, yeah. it just makes a lot more sense to to write about it rather than uh, do a more time-consuming video that people might yeah. not necessarily want to watch in that format. Well, speaking of the patches and the areas uh, of which you are sort of in charge of, um, you do have this sort of nickname going <laughs> sometimes. You are known as the Strategy King. I don't know. I, I think I know where that started. In, in, in a sense, you cover a lot of strategy games. Um, I think, but a good friend of mine, Dave Jewett, um, <laughs> one of my old university friends, I think he said you oh, like I didn't a crown. That. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, um, I think I think it actually came up. So I, I yeah, I had a reputation, I guess, for covering a lot of the strategy games for both video game and Eurogame, and mostly because um, it, they can be sort of niche genres, and not everyone enjoys those kind of games, which is wrong. But uh, it meant, meant that I I sort of uh, took the the lead on that. I think the name the Strategy King thing it's really embarrassing because it makes it sound like I gave myself that title, <laughs> and I'm not that good at strategy <laughs> games. I just sort of. But you now, know, I, now I have known, to be. You are known for covering it. You are known yeah. for covering that area and being a fan of those games. And the the reason I lead into it, obviously, because it's a big part of what you do at Eurogamer. But I think people who are listening to this will sort of expect <laughs> some of the games that are going to be on your list. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, <laughs> are they, are, it's a, a weird amount of pressure has come with this this <laughs> daft title because uh, <laughs> I'm not even like I I. Uh, we're playing Dawn of War three at the moment. So the review is coming up this this week at some point. Thankfully, I'm not reviewing it, but I I'm terrified of playing like people in the office in case like I get my ass kicked and then suddenly it's it's not like oh that was a good game. It's like aha I've defeated the strategy king, <laughs> dethroned, and it's like it's it's a no win situation for a name that I once again I want to reiterate I didn't come up with and I'm slightly embarrassed by. <laughs> It's gonna be nice though, being known for something like. It does mean that I get to go do the strategy coverage a lot. You get to do nice, the I cool guess. stuff. You get to do the cool stuff, like interviewing like Sid Meier and Jake oh, Sullivan. Yeah, that's fun. 
like all those really incredibly cool things. So, you know, sometimes yeah, I'll take the hit. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's good to be king. <laughs> sometimes it's good to be king, right? <laughs> I just tried to take a sip of coffee, you know, then thanks for that. Oh, good. <laughs> well, Chris, I won't make you laugh any longer. I don't think I could do that. For <laughs> you are far funnier than I am. Um, but we are here to talk about eight games. And yes. we did touch on a little bit of what they're going to be like, what people can expect, especially if they've read your work or they've, or, I don't know, actually your video work covers you know, a whole range of video games from anything. So I think it's a, it's a very sort of maybe strategy orientated or simulation type list. Yeah, um, that's true. But they're all kind of games that are perfectly suited for a deserted island situation they're games that last a long time and have immense replay value so i'm very excited to talk about them uh strategy is apart from maybe the first game on this list strategy is not an area i'm very good at it's always a very intimidating prospect for me as a player um i've always wanted to get hardcore into it whenever strategy games have appeared on this list we've had so many in the past XCOM, stellaris um you know the total war games and all that kind of thing i'm always so fascinated to hear about them but i'm just so intimidated when i look at them and play them myself so i'm very excited to hear what the strategy king himself has to say <laughs> about all these games so why don't we dive into chris's final games list and listen to some music from the first game which is a game i love myself and let's dive straight into it So, I mean, really, there is no better way to kick things off, especially Chris Bratt's list, his final games list, than with this game, which is a game developed by Firaxis and published by 2K. It was directed by someone, Chris, I think I would you could consider friends with. I think you've done a lot uh, of no. work. <laughs> I think I'm just a huge fan. I don't, a yeah. Okay, a huge fan of the director, Jake Solomon. It's a game that is a sequel to XCOM Enemy Unknown. It released last year in February uh, for the PC, and then it released later that year for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I double-dipped and bought the PC version and then the PS4 version because I love this game so much. It's a very approachable turn-based tactics video game called XCOM 2. Now, Chris, you did a lot of content uh, before this game came out that essentially convinced... Was, I was sort of already convinced to buy XCOM because I loved Enemy Unknown, but I was even more convinced by the content you did beforehand. Um, but you have chosen XCOM 2 for your list. And I think this is maybe the one that everyone who knows your work will have expected. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, 
So, Chris, please tell me why. Why are you taking it though? I did. I did actually almost pick XCOM Enemy Unknown as the 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 first game. I, w- I was trying to weigh up which I'd actually prefer to take with me because Enemy Unknown is, I think, my favorite video game. It's it's it was my first introduction to XCOM, and uh, I fell in love with it so so hard. But um, I think I actually think XCOM Two is the better game, and also. I keep thinking, of, like for most of my list, you've already mentioned this. I've I've sort of picked stuff with um, a good amount of depth and replayability is a really important part of it. If you're going to be trapped on a, a desert island, I feel like I feel like games that you can keep going back to are going to be key. And the, one of the things that XCOM Two introduced, which would be really important in this uh, situation, is that it has procedural maps, which means that in XCOM Enemy Unknown you had a pool of I think I can't remember exactly how many maps, like a good number. I um, like dozens and dozens of different maps that you'd play through as uh, as the campaign progressed, but uh, by the time you've you've done you know several campaigns, you you know them off by heart and and like that can that can cloud how you play the game because you can sort of expect where to find the enemies and exactly what you want to take advantage of in each map. The the great thing about XCOM Two is that you'll recognize elements like procedural generation means that there are sort of it's almost sort of like tiles. Um, that are slotted together from a huge list, and so every map that you play is in some way different, uh, even though you'll recognize certain features. Yeah, so the gameplay, the gameplay mechanics, and the enemy types, and uh, the way you approach things may be similar, but you're mm-hmm. never quite sure what to expect when you're heading into a, uh, a sort of operation in XCOM Two. Yeah, you'll never play uh, a yeah. The, if, once you've played for a mission, you'll never, you'll never quite play a mission. Uh, in the same way again, and and that's that's really appealing. And and one of the things I really liked about this this sequel, um, I think its biggest selling point for me was that it it sort of it it came from a developer that was clearly paying a lot of attention to how we played the first game. So um, yeah, for those who haven't played XCOM Enemy Unknown, it's a it's a tactical game and uh, sort of split into two halves. One one half of it you're on the sort of the world map and you're building a base and you're researching new technology, building new weapons, all that stuff. But uh, the, the meat of the game is really the tactical element where you control a, a tiny squad of troops um, fending off an alien invasion. You'll be dropped into missions with certain objectives. And uh, the you said that it's a very approachable um, sort of take on this genre. And that's really that's spot on. The, the original XCOM um, back in the 90s relied on something called... Uh, time units which meant that once you when you're controlling a a soldier like every action that you took with them every step forwards every time they reloaded their gun every time they took a shot would chip away at this number of time units that they they had available for that turn okay and um that it, it works really nicely but it's re- it's incredibly intimidating if you're not used to that um that approach whereas the the new game the reboot from Firaxis, basically simplifies that whole process so you it's a turn-based game, but every time you click a soldier, you, you've got sort of two actions that you can take with them. Um, so that could be like two movements or a movement and shooting or a movement. And there's an ability called Overwatch, which basically means that they uh, they will react to any enemy movement on, on the enemy turn. And, yeah, and they're basically like lookouts uh, almost. Yeah. yeah, which is a really um, attractive option uh, because if you haven't encountered any enemies yet... You basically want to have your entire squad on this using this Overwatch ability. So when the enemy shows up, they sort of move into your field of view, and suddenly your entire squad takes a shot at them almost for free, really, because uh, the the encounter hasn't quite properly started yet. And 
that that's cool and it's a it's a great option. But it it meant that once you'd you'd sort of really gelled with the game and sort of really understood how to play it, um, the best way to play it was sort of sneaking around the map very very cautiously, taking a movement and then having your entire squad on Overwatch, um, so that every time you encountered an enemy, you got this sort of free turn of just uh, reaction shots from your entire group of soldiers, and. Yeah, you you sort of fall into that mindset, and once you know that's the best way to play, you you get a bit boring because you keep doing it. And uh, <laughs> Overwatch, come to... Overwatch was definitely my crutch as a really bad bad strategy player. <laughs> Overwatch was my crutch. I would be I'd play it so safe, and then missions where maybe you had to get maybe hostages and stuff like that, I would be awful because I'd always be having to press forward whether the game was like telling me like look you have to save these people and if you take it slowly you're uh you're gonna you're gonna fail and i was like god damn it game like just let me take the aliens out like a stealthy swat team <laughs> right uh, yeah and and that's that so that that was a really interesting point in xcom enemy unknown when you had those missions was like the the one where you had to defuse a bomb before it goes off and you've got a sort of a number of turns to complete that objective yeah. within otherwise everything like the missions failed and you'll lose all your your soldiers so like suddenly you've been playing this game like move overwatch this really steady cautious approach to to each mission and then suddenly you're thrown into this one where it's like oh my god you better start moving quickly and xcom 2 basically expanded on that idea and almost every mission has a timed objective um so it'll be you need to hack this workstation uh within a number of turns otherwise it will be locked down forever and you'll you'll fail or you need to rescue someone within a number of turns or you need to destroy an objective within a number of turns every mission like for the most part has has this turn timer which was a sort of a, a mild controversy within within the XCOM community because yeah um it was sort of forcing you to play in a certain way i i edge on the side of it actually forces you to play as a more interesting XCOM player because you you have to take risks, and and the XCOM games are always at their best. Um, although we don't like to admit it, when everything goes horribly wrong, when you, <laughs> you push ahead just a little bit too much, you trigger another group of soldiers, another group of aliens, and suddenly, like, you're in a situation you hadn't predicted. And if you don't figure out how to to solve it, like it's almost a little puzzle, a little mind game that you have to complete. By the end of that turn, you know you're gonna um, lose soldiers, or, or something bad's gonna happen. Yeah. And it's it's that's just one of the most best. it's one of the most stressful experiences of my entire gaming life. I think. Just yeah, it, it it genuinely is. I I it's it is a game that constantly wants to stress you out and puts you in these these situations where you're like you're just holding on by the like skin of your teeth, just trying to like uh, last another turn or or deal with a situation in so, any way that you can figure out just to to ensure you don't uh, start losing soldiers. Because one of the other great things about the XCOM series, if, if uh, listeners aren't familiar, is that um, no, it's, yeah, a key thing is that when soldiers die, they, they're gone forever. And that you, these soldiers, some of them, will have been with you from the very start of the game and yeah. they level up um, as they complete missions and unlock new abilities. And like that, that's important. And so there's a time investment involved. But more than that, uh, if you play it like I end up playing... You customize them. You give you like name them after like I don't know one of your family members or a friend or like your favorite actor or or a character from a movie that you really like or or something, and you become attached to that character. You've given them like a special haircut and you've changed the color of their armor slightly so they look different than the rest. And then when that person dies and you know like there's no way of getting that person back. This uh, this that's 
No, nope. that's your lot. They are gone. Um, <laughs> it, it 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 means that every action that you take, every risk that you take, feels more important because the failure state is actually losing um, a friend. Like, <laughs> yeah, someone that you care about, which is a weird thing to say in a game like this. But especially um, especially if you make them after the great thing about XCOM is being able to customize your soldiers and then spending a ridiculous amount of time making them look like your friends or your family or colleagues and that kind of thing, and then sending your girlfriend into battle or something yeah, like that and, and um trying your best to protect them yeah it's it's an, an incredible feeling and uh there's also a, a mode in in all the XCOM games that I'm, I'm a big fan of which is called iron man which basically means that um so in a normal game you can save your game whenever right like after each action you take you could create a new save file if yeah. you wanted to um iron man means that your entire playthrough runs on one save file that you have you don't have any control over other than the fact that every time you make an action every time you do it you you complete a move the game overwrites that save file so if you if you mess up and you lose a soldier this could be like 15 hours into a campaign and this soldier's been with you from the very start uh, <laughs> like or or like worse than losing a soldier you could like wipe out your squad you can't reload the save and no. like when i played xcom 2 i uh I think I played on Iron Man each time, and when I finally completed the game, um, I think I must have been on my seventh or eighth playthrough, and some of those playthroughs that had failed had been in the 10, 15 hour stage or whatever oh, when, when, man. when I lost it, which is brutal, but meant that the final payoff in my mind was was like heightened, that, and I, yeah, that I, I, I love like, that game. That sounds like an achievement that backs up the whole strategy king. <laughs> name persona. maybe if i did it first time and not seventh or eighth perhaps but yeah i i, I don't just... even think i don't even think i could do it after seven or eight times i just i those kind of things in those kind of games are almost like unattainable for me i'm so bad at those type of games i just don't think i would be able to do that yeah it's it's yeah it doesn't it's not for everyone um but it's <laughs> it i don't know for me like, like that's just the Ever since I've played XCOM, I've always been chasing um, games with Iron Man mode. I just I think it's a really cool mechanic. And I've, the very few of them have um, really got to the uh, to the heart of why it works in in XCOM. But I I love the idea of like permanence and that when you in a turn based game, which is um, perhaps one of the we the weaknesses of a turn based game, is that you can spend so long um, assessing a situation before yeah. you take a move, and you can be very ponderous and cautious, and it feels safe a lot of the time. So when when you do eventually mess up, um, you know, ten hours into a campaign, and for the first time you lose a couple of soldiers, it it hurts a lot more, and it feels it feels more important. And also, it becomes part of the story. Like the the idea of XCOM, I don't think is to do a perfect run through. Um, I don't think many people can. It's kind of just to and, survive, almost. It, it, yeah, exactly, and just to hold on. Especially in XCOM Two, where it is this the the story setting is a is almost like a guerrilla warfare underdog thing where it's basically just to scrape your way through to the end and overcome everything it, you don't have to do it perfectly you just literally have to get there like getting there is the task yeah that's that's obviously i i think um jake solomon the uh yeah the gameplay lead has once talked about like the idea of it not being a a puzzle to solve it is more about just sort of yeah, surviving the game. And it, it, a lot of time, XCOM isn't fair as well. Like, it can do a lot of things that feel really brutal and, and 
um, really and justified. <laughs> yeah, really shitty. Like, I, in fact, I remember a couple of the campaigns I lost. I never like I lost on the campaign map because there's a a timer that I just messed up on. Like, there's a sort of doomsday clock uh, going on at all points. Oh, uh, the, the aliens are building up to this clock. avatar project, and I, I've lost. <laughs> I think I lost a campaign without actually losing a mission on the ground, which feels so, so bad. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah. Do you do you email Jake and like, dude, dude, what is? It? Come on, man, come on. Like it's, this is not fair. <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, I imagine he gets a lot of messages like that. Um, yeah, it it isn't. It just isn't. Well. I think XCOM 2 is, I think anyone who knows your work, as I said, is going to know that this is one, either XCOM Enemy Unknown or XCOM 2 is going to be going with you. But it is that, as you said, sort of perfect deserted island game, the the random generated maps and being able to approach each mission uh, in a different way when you, you don't know what to expect with XCOM 2 and the fact that it's just endlessly replayable. And you, you as you said, you've always had like, over 10 odd campaigns and you can have that iron man mode so i think it's a great choice it's a superb yep. choice to start off your list as well i think that's so, a good one yeah well we're gonna move away from strategy for the time being well i don't know it depends whether you, what you define the word <laughs> strategy in a game way maybe not but a strategy in your mind about what you're gonna build in this next game or what you're gonna <laughs> i like do, i like the segue <laughs> is uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at segues, I will admit. Um, but we're going to move in to the next game now. And um, we're going to listen to some music that you'll probably all recognize. I mean, everyone probably listening to this has played this game in some form at some point. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. Before we move into the second game, Chris, we have to talk about the deserted island slash place that you are actually going to. Um, we're not just going to send you off to some random deserted place. Uh, obviously, keeping in keeping with the theme of the podcast, we're going to send you to a deserted place that is gaming related or gaming themed. But because we want you to be comfortable while you are playing these eight wonderful games that you have chosen, um, we allow you to choose where you're going. Um, so you get to choose the place. It has to be gaming related. Um, there's not going to be anyone there. You are alone. With the caveat that if you choose a place that has like monsters or NPCs that maybe <laughs> want to hurt you, 
they're definitely going to be there. Um, because if you go to a deserted island, there might be dangerous animals on it or something like that. So just NPCs that you can talk to or you or, or who, could, who could potentially help you get off the island. We, well, we can't have that. So okay, okay. it's going to be empty no matter what you choose. But right. you get to choose where you're going to go. Is there anywhere that sort of comes to mind immediately? Is there anywhere from video games that you've always wanted to go and relax and chill that you thought was a good place that to, to maybe spend a big chunk of time? I mean, and I say chunk of time, you are as the same age as me, <laughs> 26. So there is hopefully a large chunk of time coming. Um, <laughs> but is there anywhere that comes to mind? Oh man, I, I really am a sucker for fantasy settings. I was actually going to say... Uh, Morrowind until you mentioned that the like I'm okay with there not being any any NPCs I would totally cheat and find someone to get me off off the island <laughs> but um the problem with with Morrowind is that it has an enemy type I don't know if you have played the game called uh, Cliff Racer Cliff and, Racer yeah yeah it's sort of like a weird pterodactyl bird thing <laughs> and they they are the bane of every player's life it's one of the most annoying enemies I've ever encountered in a game so I'm sort of I I want I like Morrowind and I kind of like the the setting even though it's very brown and full of mushrooms but I'm I'm a little can, can do we have to have the cliff races as well can I just sort of like can I have Morrowind without the the idea of like a giant pterodactyl bird I mean there are places where though, me. there are places where they can't go like safe zones and stuff so okay you, cool. you could have Morrowind but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's up to you whether you want to walk out into the areas where those guys are going to be it's fine. I'll I'll stay in like Sedanine or something like the starting area. That we're not near any cliffs, which, as the name suggests, they tend to like. There's there's just there'll be like a few mud crabs around, and it'll just be it'll be reasonably pleasant. I think that's that's a nice safe area to sort of see out my days. <laughs> well, okay. So the the Morrowind essentially the whole country of Morrowind or the continent. Yeah. Uh, um, is yours to explore on your own. Excellent. Um, but it's, it's just nothing about that you. game. If we find out in a few years' time that you gave up playing XCOM 2 and wanted to explore and have your own adventure and you got <laughs> eaten or killed by one of the many enemies in Morrowind, um, then that's your own fault. God, imagine being killed by a mud crab. Like, that would be the. Like, they're so slow and Dude, can you imagine, not strong. Can you imagine a mud crab in real life, though? That, you, would, <laughs> you would run away from that thing. You'd be like, Jesus, yeah. that crab is abnormal, abnormally big. I am not going to do that. <laughs> it's like one yep. of those Japanese uh, giant spider crabs. Like you, you just don't want to go anywhere near those things. Yeah, that's fair. like large crabs in general are sort of a no-no for me. So that's I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's something about that game. I, it almost made my list, uh, but I've I've sort of played so much of it. I feel like I've seen so much of it that I it wouldn't it wouldn't be a good investment. But the music and the environments take me back to like a period in my life that it would be nice and calming and. I reckon I reckon that's where where I'd want to be. Well, that's entirely your choice, and we will send you there after this. And uh, the next game that you are gonna be playing while you are sort of defending yourself from mud crabs and cliff races and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> hey, we is, said no cliff races. It's fine. Well, that's up to you if you <laughs> okay. wander into those areas. I, I'm <laughs> I'm entirely not responsible if you go wandering off. Like, I like, like this rule set that you've developed here. It's like good. one of those bad movies where, you know, it's like, don't go that way. And they're like, eh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll see what's over there. Well, that's up to you, Chris. It's okay. entirely your decision. Um, but yeah, the next game you're going to be playing uh, is developed by Mojang. Um, it's been released for literally every platform under the sun 
you name it, there isn't a platform that it's not on. It's even going to be on the Nintendo Switch next month onwards. Um, it's one of the four games coming to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you badmouth their Switch. Sorry. I'm oh, sorry. I, I think it's amazing. It's a brilliant console. <laughs> well, we can get onto which version of this uh, game that you could that you choose later. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a game developed by the very, very rich and famous Mr. Marcus Person, or Notch, as you will all know him, a man who's sort of maybe taken a turn for the worst in recent times in people's popular view. Um, but it is the incredibly famous sandbox video game that you can pretty much do anything. <laughs> you could probably even build your own strategy game inside of this. Um, at the very least, you could pretend. Um, it's, of course, Minecraft. Chris, it's a pretty damn good deserted island game, but why the hell are you choosing it for your list? Yeah, like so. Like, as you mentioned, you can there's you have room to just do so much in that game, and I feel like if I've got some if I've got some time to kill, if so I'm 26, like what's how long have I got? Uh, like ideally, like 60 years maybe on on this Morrowind themed deadly island. That's um, if you are not going wandering. Yeah, if you, if you don't <laughs> but say that doesn't happen. I want I want some games that I can really uh, yeah spend a lot of time with and Minecraft is is one of the best examples of that. I wonder if perhaps with a, a slightly older generation there, there's a bit of snobbiness towards towards Minecraft because it's sort of the game that a lot of um, today's kids are growing up with and there's a, a big YouTube culture around it and you, you, when we think of Minecraft we often think of like uh, the Yogscast or Stampy Longnose and like. Uh, um, like like a new a new sort of breed of entertainment within games, and, and I wonder if that sometimes gets in the way of the fact that it is actually just an amazing game for any age group to play. It's it, kids love it, but as as do I. Is there's so much joy to get from just like creating things within Minecraft. And I'm not even a very creative person, but that game <laughs> just really appeals to me. Um, so, so actually, speaking of then, because uh, I think everyone can sort of guess why you choose Minecraft, but let's let's go in a different direction. Then you just said you're kind of not a creatively uh, inspired person or not very creative. What would be the first thing you would build? What is the kind oh, of God. what is the kind of project in your mind when you think of all these huge Minecraft projects like the you know the Enterprise someone's built the Enterprise someone's built like King's Landing you yeah. know all these incredible things like you have you know sixty years um, what is going to be like <laughs> one of the big projects that you'd like to do? See, I I really really like uh, the George R. R. Martin uh, series, The Song of Ice and Fire, and you know the Game of Thrones TV show that yeah. it's it's. Uh, sort of inspired. However, I have been, I, I took like a tour around the Game of Thrones fan project uh, with one of its creators uh, at some point last year. And there's no way I'd even start that because they've already, they, I've seen the amount of work that, that has gone into that already and they've already done an incredible <laughs> job. Like on, genuinely, it was, they, uh, at that point, um, the latest series hadn't been, uh, wasn't out when, when I spoke to them and sort of had a wonder around and they they were creating the entirety of Westeros, and a lot of that was based on the TV show. and And genuinely, it it you, it, it was so impressive to see see this stuff realized in Minecraft. But a lot of it isn't actually um, we haven't encountered yet. So things like uh, Castle Rock, which is the home of the Lannisters, um, in Game of Thrones, and they they'd done a lot of that based on descriptions from the books. And 
sort of their own cre- creative imagination. And it was incredible. They, and and gave like loads of extra context to the world. Like uh, the, um, what what the old god tree is called? The werewoods? Is that, do you, are you a Game of Thrones fan? Um, the, uh, I am. Yeah, indeed, like the, yeah, I think it's been a long uh, time uh, since I read the books. And also I, when I watch the series, just whatever visually is stimulating, the names get lost. There are so yeah, many that's knights and stuff. Yeah, well, like in Casterly Rock, which is like uh, one of the southern kingdoms, which you don't really think of as having a history of like the the old gods in the north. Um, it does have like they they'd read like a paragraph somewhere in one of the books that mentioned the fact that it does have one of these these trees, and they'd created this incredible garden for it, just based on like a a, a few words and and like wow. things that they'd read from interviews um, with George R. R. Martin and like sort of surrounding material, and I I love. I love that stuff so much. I love when people get really into the detail of of a world and and try and replicate it. Uh, but I can't do that one, can I? Because they've already they've already they've nailed already, it. And they've already done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've done like four versions is, of Winterfell by this stage. The thing is, you're gonna have to do everything based on memory because you you're not really gonna have anything other oh, than God. these eight games and you know oh, maybe what? some food and some water. Oh, so I can't take I can't take any source material with me. You're gonna have oh, to basically go off this. something on your memory. Yeah, I'm and just it, looking it, at the games that, that I picked. that would be a really interesting a project. Like, the idea to task someone with, what do you really like? Okay, I really like Star Wars. Okay, so now go build a <laughs> replica of, I don't know, an X-Wing or, or the Death Star based entirely off your memory of Star Wars without looking at source material throughout the whole build. And then just seeing <laughs> how that would turn out. I think that would be, <laughs> It'd be really embarrassing. Imagine you got rescued like all those years later. I'm, I know that's not in your rule set, but let's say you did, and you're like, guys, I've spent sixty years recreating Star Wars, and it's just imagine it not being even close to actually what the source material was. It'd be so embarrassing. Yeah, so that's a risk as well. I wouldn't actually want to do that in case I messed up and then did get rescued and then like it sort of sort of messed up the uh you're, the you're trying to tempt me into rescuing you and it's not I just get, oh, I'm, I'm saying i'm saying do okay do i do i know that i'm not going to get rescued you're, you are <laughs> not going to get rescued so okay, it would enough. only be an embarrassment to yourself all right i reckon i'd get really into um the redstone in minecraft which is uh basically like the material that you use to create on a basic level it's like to create switches that can open doors right if you if you connect a, a lever t- with some redstone to a door, it will open it. And that's that's how you sort of start off with that that material. But it actually allows for a lot of um, like fairly substantial programming. Like people have made um, like what we'd consider basic, but working computers within Minecraft. Um, and that all, all through the process of using redstone to store memory and, and really delve in. You can actually do genuine programming within a game about sort of Lego blocks and building castles, which I always find really fascinating. And I've yeah. never actually spent the time trying to figure out, I'm going to have 60 years. Why not Why not learn to program in Minecraft? I feel like that would be a useful skill. <laughs> and you could build yourself up to making like a really rudimentary strategy game. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I think people have done so much, uh, so many incredible things in that game. Yeah, I guess I can't take any sort of mods with me, so let's not get too carried away. 
Well, what, what, I don't know. what's your feeling on mods? We usually allow mods, but the Minecraft. Okay, that's great because someone's someone's uh, created is... a playable version of Pokemon in Minecraft. So yeah, okay, okay. so we could potentially. That's allow a free that. game. <laughs> it's a free game, yeah. But you're not allowed to make any mods or upload them because you could just make, and you're also not allowed. I think with Minecraft is we wouldn't allow you to be able to connect to multiplayer because you could yeah, just yeah, write out the coordinates. Yeah, of... I'd be like help. Trapped yeah, on the Morrowind themed island. <laughs> Not sure how this happened. I think Liam Edwards had something to do with it. Everyone, if seriously, <laughs> I do worry that one day a game developer or a, a game industry member is going to go missing, and yeah. everyone's going to be like, "It was fucking yeah. Liam. Liam. He was on the podcast. It. It's the great. Yeah, he was on the podcast. It's the greatest piece of marketing." or PR <laughs> for a podcast ever. And I'm just going to be like, guys, seriously, I did not do this. I do not have the finances or backing to be able to actually do this. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's exactly what you would say if you were planning to abduct a high-profile member of the games industry, but that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I, m- yeah. I, I, the, the, day Miyamoto, my... the day Miyamoto can speak English, then, then maybe. <laughs> Man, go right for the top. Shit, that's a confession right there, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, bollocks. Anyway, back to Minecraft and creating incredible things. But it is that, it, it is that almost that endless, just, it is the ultimate. There are so many games, I think we're going to talk about your next game in a minute as well. There are a, a few games I think I would class as the ultimate deserted island game. Like the ultimate game that kind of breaks final games in a way. Um, <laughs> that is perfect for a deserted island situation and a, a game that for no matter how long you think you would be trapped on a deserted island, whether it's 10, 15, 20, 60, 100, 1,000 years, it you're almost never going to be able to get everything out of it and there's always going to be something you're going to be able to do. Yeah, it's a big box of Lego, basically. Uh, and yeah, that I think I, I, I realized with some of these games that I have basically picked stuff that I can just... That are sort of cheating a little bit because you can keep going back to them and just get so much out of it. Minecraft is just, it's it's an amazing amazing game and I, uh, I I think it's probably one of the most important games we we've seen. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned actually, which I I, I want to touch on. So there's there are two modes that you can play Minecraft in. There's sort of traditional. There's the creative mode where you have access yeah. to all the blocks and as many as you want and you can sort of build freely. There's also something really weirdly satisfying and I'm not sure why I find it satisfying about the traditional approach to Minecraft, which is actually having to, you know, su- survive the nights and yeah. mine for materials. And so when you find like a diamond block, it feels really important because they're, they're so rare and, and you've you've had to do so much work and create an entire mining system to even get to them in the first place. Um, <laughs> there's, I, 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 I remember like when, the, yeah, when I first, I did the traditional, like when uh, I started playing Minecraft for the first time, built a castle, obviously. Everyone builds a castle. Yeah. And I remember feeling strangely like proud as I looked at it. Not because I built a good castle. It was a very boring castle. It was like a square with some... Turrets. Uh, like a little, yeah, little turrets <laughs> on top and some ramparts and, and a gate. And that was about it. However, I knew where all the materials had come from. And like uh, anything like special that I'd added, I, I sort of knew a little story behind how, how it got there. No, no uh, one knows about the underground secret mine that extends all exactly. across the land from this tiny <laughs> <I've> castle. Had, <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I've had to like destroy the entire landscape to build this one castle, but it's fine because <laughs> it's mine, and now I've got it. And don't don't uh, yeah, you I, think? Though, I do like that move. 
don't you think you'll be doing enough trying to survive day to day in Morrowind? I mean, oh god, yeah. If you think about actually yeah. surviving and making sure you know you're alive, you're gonna have to one in Morrowind. You're gonna have to be for, foraging a lot of already built castles for cheese and bread. Um, yeah. You know, which is kind of a, an Elder Scroll staple as well. Maybe mm-hmm. some like cherry pie and stuff like that. That's it's a very cheese heavy diet. Is it is. It's going to be Scrolls. a cheese heavy cheese, wine and bread, I think, is the things <laughs> I can make, mostly think of um, from Elder Scrolls. But the, <laughs> the Adventure Mode does have that sort of feeling of like being proud that you're able to survive in a world where anything can happen and mm-hmm. you can do anything to almost defeat that. Um, so I guess that will give you sort of the, uh, maybe, the, I don't know, the, the, the intensity and sort of the aspirations to stave off that insanity that builds up after being lonely for so long. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Which is going to be a real issue. Yeah. I think there's, there's something, um, cool about like setting a project in Minecraft and actually having to like find the materials and have that be part of the challenge. Yeah. Cause that, like I said, I, the, the creative side of it, I'm going to really struggle at cause I'm just not. Just not good at building things, really. But <laughs> I'm I can be okay at finding the materials to build something basic, and then feel some sense of pride at the end of it. Um, although, actually, I always found it really weird when you do complete a big build in Minecraft. I say big build for me, that would be like a square castle. Um, it's, <laughs> and then not, I, I never know what to do next. Yeah, you know, like I'm that, like, okay, it's that nailed post, it. Post project blues, where you're like, yeah. I wish this project would be over already. I wish it. I wish it. I wish it. I wish it. And then it's finished, and you're like fuck yeah it's like i don't need a castle the game doesn't need you to have a castle like it needs you to have like a hut at best (laughs) yeah i'm fine with a hut as long as the door (laughs) is closed nothing can actually come in it doesn't matter what um but yeah it is one of those and as i said it is almost the perfect deserted island game alongside the next game that you've chosen You've gone for the tra- almost the traditional one-two when it comes to endless <laughs> replayability for a deserted island, and it's another game about blocks. Um, that's my as close as I'm going to get for a segue here. With no, you've nailed it. That's great. And it has some of the most iconic music in video games. So let's listen to some wonderful Russian-inspired music and talk about a Russian-inspired game. <laughs> Jumping in to the next game now, as I said, it's sort of a one-two on the uh, perf- the the quote perfect deserted island games here. Um, it's a game that, like Minecraft, you will pretty much find it on every single platform. It 
in existence, <laughs> as mm-hmm. well as Minecraft, you also can find a form of it coming out on the Switch too, in the form of Puyo Puyo versus Tetris. Um, or Puyo Puyo Tetris, I forget the actual title of the game. Um, but it is a game that's been around since 1984. It was originally designed and programmed by Russian game designer, and I, I get this wrong every time, Alexei Pshinov or something very better pronounced than I can do. Um, it's It doesn't need any introduction. It literally is the puzzle video game that everyone has played at some point in their life, Tetris. Now, Chris... You've gone for Minecraft, and now you're going for Tetris. Mm-hmm. How I, many people pick both of those games? So not not many people have picked both, but okay, right. I you Tetris, get one. Tetris has been Tetris has been chosen a lot on Final Games, and a, a, anyone who's listened will know. Very early on in the show, Tetris was almost a a, a guarantee on most people's <laughs> list. But it's been a while since we've seen Tetris actually. Um Minecraft not so much. Um I think there are a few people who've chosen Minecraft, but uh in recent times uh it's sort of dipped down in popularity just like Tetris. Um but you are I think maybe the first person to choose both of them. So yes. you are going for that perfect <laughs> deserted island. You are trying to defeat the purpose of the deserted island. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Chris, you have chosen Tetris. Uh, please tell me, sort of, I guess what your history is with Tetris and why you're you're taking it with you. Okay, so like all games journalists, I'm not great at playing video games. That's just that's the, <laughs> the like. Yeah. It's not even a well like um, hidden secret at this stage. G- games journalists in general, just they're the average players at best. With Every, the odd exception thinking, here and there. Everyone is thinking back to the Doom Polygon video from last year. Yeah, of course. As, right? as proof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the like, yeah, that, and and I'm I've I've come to terms with that. I can play some strategy games okay, and um, I I've spent too long with games like XCOM, so I've I've just sort of brute forced my way into being all right at it. I think Tetris is one of the few games I'm I'm actually oh god, do I want to? I I think I'm. Oh, not, be careful. I think I'm good. I think I'm good at. I think, like I, not great. Not great. Definitely not great. Definitely not, um, like You're amazing. A long way away from that. But I think I'm. I adept. think I go as far as good. Yeah, adept. adept. Adept is a nice, safe term. I like that. Thank adept you. is a good. You saved me there. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's yeah, it's just one of the. It's a very uh, simple game. Everyone has. Uh, yeah, you don't need to explain what Tetris is, but it's. I think there's a lot of elegance there, and I've. I don't know why it's all. It's. I, I'm not usually a big fan of chasing after high scores. Um, it, I think I've sort of, yeah. I, m- most games, I, I don't, I don't really need that. But oh, Tetris most, most is games one these, of the few. That's... Most games these days, especially in modern times, don't really have yeah. that sort of arcade yeah, exactly. score attack. It, so it's sort of almost a dying, dying genre of game. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, but Tetris is one of the few that, that's got its teeth into me. And uh, I, in fact, there's one. <laughs> I I I I play it reasonably often online. There's a, a, a site wonderfully called TetrisFriends.com, which just sounds so pathetic. <laughs> Tetris Friends, yeah, we're all having a nice time. Um, and it just has like a fairly cool, um, yeah, like uh, it's browser based, but you can you can set up like one v one games, and it's it's got a kind of a nice community around it. However, the the weirdest thing I do with Tetris is on long haul flights, um. For me, that's mostly to uh, the US. I, if you come, you know, you if you're on a long haul flight, you get a sort of entertainment system uh, with a bunch of movies on, and a really horrible like 
remote. Like uh, the the yeah the control <laughs> yeah. it uses is like a TV remote basically. It's like a flip. It's, it's like a flip side upside down. Like one side is like a media player, and then the other side is like a really crappy game controller that just does yeah. not work. Unbelievably shit, right? Yeah. It's not even like it's so uncomfortable to use. There's like a big massive wire leading to the screen that gets in the way of like where you actually put your left hand for the directional buttons. It's it's bad, but for some reason. Every time I get onto a long haul flight, I, I uh, boot up a game called In Flight Tetris, and uh, like you, it's kind of a, a, it's not available on every airline, but uh, quite a few of them have it or some variant of it, and it's kind of cool because it, you can challenge people on other seats to play against you, and like obviously no one accepts unless you like. <laughs> I, I sometimes like know not... one of my friends that I'm with until they eventually do it. So what I typically do is just go on the sort of single player. Um, endless mode and just I spend about the first two hours of every flight filling out the leaderboard with like <laughs> taking each each slot which is really really like tragic and I'm I'm aware of that I'm not going to say it, it, so it isn't when everyone was really <coughs> excited and going back to the Switch for some reason when everyone was really excited at the announcement of the Switch and like oh my god I'm going to be able to play Zelda on the airplane or I'm going to be able to play <laughs> Mario on the airplane you're like Pfft. I got Tetris. Yeah, I don't need. I don't need a I don't switch. Need that. Yeah, like I don't yeah. need that. I've got this horrible controller I'm that really sorted. hurts my hands. <laughs> my hands are cramping right now, but I'm having a great time. I'm streaming because I've looked at like the same screen for two hours straight. Um, and there's a weird thing, and I, I'm. I think I want to know the answer to this, but I'm. I'm scared of the answer. So every time I've been on a long call flight and I do the same thing, I sort of take like get all of the lead of all positions. Um, it never seems that difficult, not because I'm great at Tetris, I'm adept, as we've already discussed. Yeah. Um, but I'm never entirely sure whether or not that leaderboard, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I don't want to know. I think it might get wiped at the end, at end of every flight. Probably. They just reset the system and they're like, well, I think, that guy's I think three that hours happen. is now Yeah, and, and yeah, I do it every time in the hopes that one day I'll get on a flight and I'll boot up the Tetris and my scores will still be there. Oh, well. God, that would but, be so cool, though. But I don't know if that actually happens. I think they, I think they wipe it because the scores are never very high. I don't know. I've never seen anyone else playing in flight Tetris. Have you purposely uh, people that I've convinced to do it? Let me ask then. Have you purposely tried to book a flight on an airplane you know you've <laughs> been on before just to see? Oh, dude, I'm a genius. I don't book the flights. I, I, I could barely afford <laughs> to get to the states. No, um, no. I just, I just hope that one day it will happen, or that one day someone will um, play in flight Tetris as a bit of a joke and see that all the leaderboard has been taken. I'm a very petty man, basically, is what I've, I've realized. And I think <laughs> I think that that would come in useful in, in a sort of desert, deserted island situation. Um, just, I, th- I think, given that time period, like the, you know, Tetris, um, there are, there's, there's an element of natural skill involved, which I, I don't think I have, but like practice is, is everything in that game. Like, getting to the state where you can, um, you're placing blocks just by looking at what the next block is and sort of making the motions almost uh, without thinking about them. You, you, you're not really looking at the blocks on the screen anymore. Like, I think I could reach somewhere near that stage and just get rid, like, I feel like I want to get something out of this this time on, on the island. And if it's not basic programming in Minecraft, it could be, like, being just well good at Tetris <laughs> I don't know what to show off to like it would only be me that I'd be able to show that to see it's, but, um, um, I've sort of had this discussion before with people who have chosen Tetris um, do you uh, and as you said we have established that you are adept at Tetris <laughs> do you think you could that's going to come back to bite me I know it 
<laughs> do you think we could mold you into like a pro Tetris player? Like someone who oh, not only smashes the leaderboards on airplanes, but smashes the <laughs> leaderboards on other more uh, popular platforms. God, I don't think so. Like I've I've watched like the world class players, and it is there, there. There's something beyond practice there. there. There is that like element of of natural just skill and reaction speed. And also, isn't there a thing like when you're? This is going to de- depress both of us. So so buckle up. Um, I think once you get past twenty four, your reaction speeds start dropping. So I think I'm already past my peak Tetris days. Dude, 24, my reaction speeds have been going since I was about 11. I, I'm <laughs> terrible at reaction speeds. I'm, I'm good at the old, like, Spider-Man that knocks something off the table and catch it really quickly. But then, Oh, like, nice. Is that your, your that's, that's like inane my, ability? My nice. Li- I like that. That's my little superpower. Like, if I drop anything, I can, like, either catch it with my foot and then into my hands. Or I can sort of Four. maybe, if it's just not past arm length yet i could pretty much catch it immediately that's like my that's amazing stupid superpower but when it comes to reactions like trying to follow something like i was literally playing the demo for puyo puyo tetris on the switch like in bed last night and i was like the ai is smashing me just because i just i don't know what's going on i've got no idea this maybe strategy games are for me because they're a bit slower. Maybe I need to. Get- yeah, that's <laughs> genuinely. So I um I'm a turn-based strategy fan for the most part. I I like RTS and I love watching like high-level RT- uh, real-time strategy players. But I tried to get into StarCraft two before like genuinely yeah, yeah. jump into the multiplayer scene, and I don't have that. I just do not have the. They call it APM <laughs> actions per minute. Mine, I've got like four actions per minute. That's that's my lot. I like um, I like I think fighting games is the extent of which I can go to that because like even in fighting games like you it's muscle memory not so much reaction time like when it comes to reacting to what someone else has done I'm out but if I get in <laughs> then it's all muscle memory and I'm okay and then I can step yeah. step back and then reassess the situation and go for the muscle memory again but when it comes to like reacting to what other people have done no one die always lose maybe yeah I just find it interesting to find out what my what like what level I could reach in Tetris, given given that period of time, like how much, how how screwed am I by the fact that I'm I'm 26 and my reaction speed is never <laughs> super good anyway? Like what's the what's the 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 best like Tetris state I could get into? Do so. Are we saying that what what's your platform of choice? It, it, I, te- I think Tetris friends be. No, I don't think it'd be Tetris friends. Um, I just kind of like that because for ease of use, but um. I, I, I think for me Tetris has to be like I don't I hate the idea of power ups in Tetris or like um, I don't like m- the modifiers I, I'm to be honest I'm not even that crazy about the fact that in Tetris Friends and, and a lot of the more like um, sort of original Tetris games you can hold a piece um, temporarily and then switch it out with another one when, when you want and that's like te- the I think the kind of classic Tetris Friends formula is that and I think that's even a bit much. I want like original Tetris where so you it's just pure... you and the blocks, man. Yeah, I want I want that pure stuff. You and stuff, the blocks, you know? man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think I'd like. I think for the spectacle of it, I would like if you could sort me out with like a, an arcade cabinet. I think that would be cool. Like the Game Boy version is probably my favorite, but I think given, yeah, I'd like given the fact that I'm going to be chasing this like leaderboards okay. thing. I think an arcade cabinet so is the is the place to do that. We'll give you like one of those awesome Japanese game cabinets that has like the arcade stick controls and stuff yep. like that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we'll allow it we'll we'll make sure it's one that can connect to the internet so 
You're not oh, wasting right. too so much time. Oh, right, so I can actually time. see. So you can, right. you can compare yourself to the rest of the world and see how far off. Because I think the arcade cabinets work in that uh, a wonderful formula of like grandmaster and then on uh, like you can get to like grandmaster rank. And that's the like, there are only a few people in the world I think who are at like grandmaster rank. God, just like, if, oh, I'm just thinking of some of the videos I've watched. That is, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to get to that point. Like, but I appreciate that, that you'll give like, me the, that's like, like the, the, game, the games done quick level. I've seen people just, I, they just look at like a rainbow of colors falling upon them and they can organize it <laughs> in ways that I can't even look at, let alone even yeah. process in my head how that happens. Um. Yeah, me too. That, I think that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, but I would like I'd like the idea that I would at least have have that goalpost to know how far. Like at least I'd never I would never get anywhere close to to that level of play even after six years. But it would be cool to, to have something to work towards, even if that goal is unattainable. I think that would actually keep me sane. Okay, having so- having something to keep chasing. <laughs> we will give you the arcade cabinet then for the for <laughs> Tetris and we will allow you to connect to the internet and I think from now on we're all going to be keeping our eye on if we ever come across these cabinets uh, to see if there's like a Bratters um, <laughs> in, in the leaderboard somewhere and we'll, we'll see how far you get yeah, I usually go CPB which is my initials so if you ever see that on, an, like on a, a long haul flight just somehow let me know because I need to know that it doesn't get wiped because I think it gets wiped. You're going to have all these games journalists now when from the UK who are heading on their flight to like E3 in like a month and a bit. They're all yeah. going to be checking now to find I'd... you on this Tetris game. And then and then obviously beat my scores, which yeah. will be even worse. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Would... That's cool. <laughs> as long as you know there are other people out there, right? Yeah, that's okay. that's all that matters. You should put a call out like before E3. Like if you're <laughs> flying on any of these planes that have this, just let's do it. Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> I need well, to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of blocks, kind of again, um, we've nice. already talked about Minecraft, um, and we're sort of going to talk about the game that inspired Minecraft. Now, um, we're heading again in a direction of games that literally are perfect for deserted island situations and it is another game that has been chosen before for this exact reason so let's kind of listen to some music there is a sort of weird theme song written by the creator of this game for this game and so let's listen to it and let's dive straight into it times as this game has appeared on the show uh, which is getting quite numerous now um <laughs> i each time i have to say i know nothing about this game i know of this game i know what it looks like 
It's incredibly intimidating. I literally have no idea what's happening in the game. I say each time I should really check it out. I have still yet to do so. I don't think I have enough time or blood left in me to be able to do or tasks. I can't even take on like XCOM very well. So let alone a game <laughs> like this. Um, but it is the game that is supposed to have inspired Minecraft. It's a part construction and management simulation game that also has stuff like roguelike uh, elements to it. It was developed by one man um, called Tarn Adams. It was released back in 2006, and it's officially named Slaves to Armok, God of Blood Chapter 2, Dwarf Fortress. Or, as it's better known, Dwarf Fortress. Chris, I've had Hello. guests come on the show and choose this game, and they've never played it before. It's just that they've always been fascinated with it and the the uh, the ability of the island, which is to give you all of this time to experiment with games and get into games maybe that you don't know anything about. Um, but are you someone who's already played this game and already got into it? Or is only it... like only a touch. I'm, I do fit into that category as well. Um, the, ah, okay. I, I, I had done some work recently that, that sort of ties into it, which um, yeah, would be cool to expand on. But I should point out, actually... Um, Tom Adams is the the the, the co-creator of the game. He's done, he although he has done the yes. lion's share of the programming, but yes. he he works with his brother um, as as well. I don't that's know exactly true. what the the split there is. Yes, his brother um, Zach, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, that's right. He and yeah. his brother Zach. Sorry, that's my mistake. Um, yeah, t I spoke to to Tarn last week. Uh, oh no, sorry for an episode of Here's a Thing that went up last week, and which has sort of inspired this pick um, somewhat. And there is just. There's this iconic story about Dwarf Fortress, which I think will sort of explain its appeal, or at least did to me. Um, so it is, as you said, it's a, a sort of game about construction and management. Basically, you, the, the, the mode that most people play, Fortress mode, is is you controlling a group of dwarves building a fortress. And that's that's sort of the that's the theme. But the, the level of simulation involved is just unbelievable. Like, uh, Tarn and, to some extent, his brother have, have spent the last... 15 years making Dwarf Fortress. And uh, they. this is one of the things I found really like fascinating talking to him. He has the next 20 years of his life planned out in terms of how like Dwarf Fortress will be finished in roughly 20 years. They've already spent 15 on it. They've got another 20 to go to reach version 1.0. And I've never met a game developer that so clearly knew what his life's work was and also like ex the time frame involved. And it's, and and because of that, I've never actually seen a game quite like Dwarf Fortress. There's been plenty of things inspired by it. Uh, most recently, there's like Rimworld, which is sort of a, uh, a sort of more visually appealing take on the Dwarf Fortress formula. Dwarf Fortress is a, a strange game to look at. It's mostly like very basic text art, and doesn't look like a complicated game. Doesn't look like a good game. Doesn't really look like a game a lot of the time. And yet, it's one of the most impressive. Um, examples in the in this medium just because of the the level of, of simulation involved and and the story that that I was told by Tarn um which uh, I I go into I, I probably present a little better than I'm going to do here in the the episode of here's a thing that went up last week but it involves dead cats have you heard the story about dead cats um in terms of like <laughs> Schrodinger's cat, or some other <laughs> story about dead this cats, is, or maybe this not is a story specifically to Dwarf Fortress about dead cats. I have not heard uh, this story. No. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, about two years ago, an update went live, which um, is quite a big update. Uh, it introduced taverns and 
uh, inebriation to to the game. Like dwarves have been able to get drunk before then, but this was like a real inebriation system um, in which, as you drink alcohol, you go through uh, different stages of of that process, and it, it's it it's a fair like a fairly accurate representation of how alcohol works on people. And this was introduced to the game, and it was a sort of a big deal because it's a game about dwarves. Of course, you need a tavern and a way to drink like ale and wine and other dwarf-like things. Yeah. Um, but the so the update went live, and suddenly, like players just kept finding dead cats everywhere. And usually, when you find a dead body in in uh, dwarf fortress, though, you can read a combat log to find out what happened. So they might have been attacked by something, and you can read exactly what what went down. Or there'll be some kind of evidence, like on their body, like a maybe a a bite mark or, or um, like like a, something to do with like their physical appearance that will tell you what happened to them. How they died uh, or something yeah, like that. Okay. Exactly. Like it's, it's, you, you can always get to that information eventually. However, the thing about these dead cats, <laughs> I found this a bit weird in the video, the amount of times I'm going to have to say dead cats now. The thing about these <laughs> dead cats is that it, it wasn't clear how they were dying. They were they were always found in a little pool of vomit, which is gross and like that must have been a disturbing find for everyone. But like the idea of like finding a dead cat covered in vomit in Dwarf Fortress isn't like that can happen. Like there are reasons why that might happen. But a lot yeah. of people were finding them and there were a lot of examples of it. And uh it was just after this update. So obviously something was going wrong or something had happened, not necessarily going wrong that, that was causing this. And uh so these bug reports started coming in from players like keep finding dead cats covered in vomit. What's going on, please? <laughs> and Ton, who is the the the, the co-creator of the game, does all the programming. Um, he, he himself didn't know what was causing this to be because the way he he like makes the game, it's basically a lot, a huge number of interlocking systems. Yeah. That um, eventually create these stories and these scenarios that he himself could never have predicted. Uh, and so he's looking at this and he's like, well, okay, so alcohol and inebriation are in the game now because of these taverns. But I've programmed the game and I know that cats can't drink or will never want to drink alcohol. They've got no desire for it. And they'd never do it so much that they drink enough that they die. That just doesn't make sense. It must be something else. And so he's like, what can currently cause cats or creatures to feel nausea and then vomit? Because that's the only evidence we've got, right, for what's happening. And so he'd, uh, he's like, well... I guess there are certain like cave creatures. If you get bitten by them, that will cause nausea. Or like rattlesnakes can like have a venom that will cause nausea and could cause you like could probably kill a cat as well. So maybe like that could be it. But that was like a fairly rare example for a rattlesnake to have somehow got into the fortress without running into anything else, and specifically going after just the cats. Because only the cats <laughs> that are running into this. And it's happening in a bunch of games, so it can't be that. And he's like, the only other way outside of that is like if you're in a fight. You get punched in your stomach. You can it can make you throw up. So I guess like it's got to be something to do with this update. So if we've had taverns to the games, maybe like dwarves are getting really drunk and having bar fights, and then cats are like getting like getting in the middle of them somehow and getting punched in their stomachs, and then they're throwing up and dying. And he's like, that's such a specific example. How could that that can't be it either? Because like there's <laughs> so much. And it turns out the reason for this, um, for why why there are all these dead cats covered in vomit, is because two years before that updated ever gone live and this is something he'd forgotten about by this stage he'd introduced a um he really likes cats like he's uh he's has one of his own who um he's like almost a character within the game community at this stage yeah uh he's like a real big cat person and has added loads of little extra behavioral things for cats one of which two years ago was that like cats will clean themselves like just 
they that's what cats do. That's the yeah. whole thing. They self clean with their you, tongue and they yeah, their like hand. that's okay. Exactly, that's like that typical cat behavior. Nailed it. Good. We can forget about that. However, like because because he's the co-creator of Dwarf Fortress, which is a ridiculous game in which they simulate everything. He's like, we don't really like the idea that matter can disappear. Like that the cat would clean itself, and then whatever was on its the just vanishes. Um, and and this is another thing about like Dwarf Fortress. You don't just get like like uh, dirt on your like you don't just get the cat covered in dirt you get the cat like each specific body part is labeled and like they might have like the left paw is covered in dirt or their like their right ear or something it's like really specific it's like well yeah we don't really like the idea that it would like clean its paw and then that that dirt just disappears forever doesn't make sense so we should have some kind of ingestion mechanic and so as they clean the dirt they ingest that dirt and it will only be a small amount so that would be fine and but at least we know that the game is treating it as it should. And what happened was, in these taverns that have been introduced two years after that point, when a dwarf is given a task, when the player gives a dwarf a task, they often just drop whatever they're holding and rush off to do it. So if you tell them to go mine something, they'll just like <laughs> drop whatever's in their hand. And so they had these, these big mugs of beer or wine or whatever it was. You tell them to do something, they drop it on the floor and <laughs> spill beer everywhere. The bartender would come around and just pick up the empty mugs but there'd still be, like, these pools of alcohol around the place, and cats would walk through them, get beer or wine or whatever it was on their paws. Oh, my God. Clean it off themselves, because that's what they do, and ingest the the beer or the wine or whatever it is. And the only problem was, all of that is working fine, even though they hadn't really thought about either of those things happening when they introduced it. It's just these interlocking systems again. Yeah. The problem was, the game thought the cat was cleaning a, a mug's worth of beer off its paw, and so it would go through all the stages of inebriation, including vomiting... And death in like a second because it like suddenly like it'd they, be like they taking one like, big shot of beer <laughs> exactly and they consider like uh, like uh, the size of the creature and like their alcohol blood levels yeah and so it was basically like half of their blood was alcohol all of a sudden <laughs> and they just died really really quickly and eventually like they they tweak that now and and so the systems are still in place and a cat walking through beer will still clean it off itself and get a tiny little buzz as a result it won't kill itself because it's it will only be drinking a small amount that it's picked up on its fur. Um, but I love that story because it's it's weird because it's like dead cats covered in vomit all of a sudden. But it's amazing because it shows how the uh, these two guys think about making that game. It's not about like, oh, let's create a situation in which cats can drink alcohol. It's actually like, let's just keep creating systems until eventually cats can drink alcohol because that makes sense. Yeah. We never intended for that to happen. But the simulation is so deep that... that it will just that just makes sense and, and it's just yeah. it, it's just like one example of like the just almost I, I mean would you have ever thought of that no it's uh it's just one example of like the the reasons as to why people play dwarf fortress or are interested in it because of the just incredible unthinkable things that can happen in a game that yeah. simulates so many things it's it is amazing there's this incredible story called uh it's called Boat Murdered. I don't know why it's why it's named that. It was the name of the the um, the world that they were playing in. But it was all these Dwarf Fortress players that were sharing a save file and were like writing about their experience. And this incredible um, series of events happens in which basically a dwar- the the Dwarf Fortress that they, they constructed is under assault by a herd of elephants. For some reason, there are, there's this angry herd of elephants that keep uh, killing dwarves like as they venture outside the fortress. So and 
uh, like it becomes part of the law. Like the dwarves themselves start doing paintings of these elephants killing dwarves, and it's like the world becomes dominated by the fact that this is happening. <laughs> and what like eventually one of the players is like, I enough of these goddamn elephants. We're going to build a big gate system to keep them out so we can be safe. We can't do anything outside, but we're going to have our dwarves inside and it'll be safe. And they have this like mechanism for opening the doors um, with a lever. And that worked and it was fine. And for a couple of uh, players afterwards that they'd like close the doors when the elephants got near and everything would be fine. Until one point the elephants were coming towards the fortress, a player went to close the doors and they were stuck. And it turned out a, I think it was a butterfly had flown into the mechanism and died and its corpse was blocking the mechanism from closing the like from from working and the lever would no longer close the door and the elephants got in and murdered a bunch of dwarves and <laughs> it's like why does the game account for that like that no no one could ever predict that moment happening and these aren't physical it's not a 3d game you can't see the mechanism we're talking about it's all no. represented by like text art yeah and the game runs at such a level that the corpse of like a butterfly <laughs> can interrupt a door lever from working. Uh, There's nothing else like it. The butterfly effect, some might say. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I love it. I absolutely love it. So that is one of... It is, going back to it, I I know I keep saying, but it is like another example of a game where just anything can happen. And in this sense, it's not like Minecraft where you can do anything. It's more of a, you could almost experience anything that you never predicted. Yeah. Like in Minecraft, right. you all, can always predict stories, like, um, the outcome. Like in Minecraft, you, you sort of set up these systems, your own self, for stuff to happen. But in Dwarf Fortress, it's almost like you don't know what to expect. And you're almost yeah. along for the ride. You're just That's exactly it. Things. That's exactly it. You're just living within this world of of many many systems and just seeing what happens. Like you can you can you have objectives that you want to carry out and you can instruct your dwarves to do things, but the everything else is just left up to this incredible game engine. Just sort of like when you when you start a game of Dwarf Fortress, you know. So most games like Minecraft, for example, when you start a game of Minecraft, it generates the world, right? Which is a physical thing. It generates the physical blocks and where they're located, and you spawn into a world that no one else has ever seen before, and that's an amazing moment. Yeah. And Dwarf Fortress, it does that, but it also generates the entire history of that world. Like, it's it's myths and it's legends, and it's, like, the dwarven heroes of the past and, what and like, why they became heroes and who killed them, and those characters might still exist in the game, these, like, mythical creatures, and and the every family that you're controlling has a history to it. When you start a game of, like, Dwarf Fortress, you are genuinely creating a, a, a functioning world and you'll you're just exist in a tiny tiny part of it it's crazy it, yeah <laughs> and I, it is like that's that's the, all you can ever say about that game and i i've never really um i've i've always followed the stories it's a bit like eve online in that sense that it's a yeah game that, that it's fascinating to read about but incredibly intimidating to start playing dwarf fortress mostly because it's visuals and it's ui on um non-existent sort of come to expect say. yeah yeah and yeah, there's there's this potential there for a game that that is is like nothing else that I will ever play, and so I feel like trapped on an island for six years. I want that one in the in the list. Well, it's yours to take, and I <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of being, of you getting such time to be able to experience such 
just incredible things <laughs> that have these stories happen and you're just going to be like scratching your head thinking why why the fuck did that happen and then it just being one of many many stories for when you play this i guess if people want to know more about dwarf fortress they can check out the episode of here's a thing that released last week that is about mm-hmm. what what is it specifically about the dead cat story because you always yeah, have a sort of topic for each it, one. It, yeah it's 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 sort of yeah it's the story i i just told uh presented a little more visually uh, a little more yeah, visual but, this is like the yeah. dwarf fortress version of that story this is the yeah audio. exactly uh no right. visuals <laughs> stripped down um so. <laughs> yeah but it's it's it like as as we've sort of talked about it, it's more like that story is more about it, it's it actually sort of defines the whole game uh, even though it's a weird story about dead cats going and vomit <laughs> it's, such a, it's just a weird place to kick off but uh yeah it's it is the the Dwarf Fortress story so for a lot of people, I think. we'll allow a little plug there for Eurogamer. Go to the YouTube channel and <laughs> check out the... the his, you should be checking out his thing anyway. It's really fascinating, but that is even more fascinating. Oh, thanks, man. So let's get back on the strategy bandwagon now then. Uh, we're heading through a sort of strategy, uh, almost like a two-stop strategy train ride now uh, back on what chris is known for so let's listen to some music from this next game a game i've always wanted to get into i've had friends who played this game religiously and i just i just never did i just couldn't i don't know why um so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it game on Chris's list is a game that's defined under the title and I I really do love this the title grand strategy game like grand strategy I I mean you couldn't really get a cooler cooler sort of genre to put your (laughs) game under grand strategy Uh, it's a game that's set in the middle ages and it's developed by the wonderful paradox development studio uh, and published by paradox interactive it's a sequel to the game crusader kings it was released all the way back in uh, 2012 now. I remember first seeing it when I went to Gamescom in 2011 and getting to have a look behind a Paradox booth and getting to play this game. Uh, it was, at the time, I was so excited about it and just the stuff that, even in that short brief demo that they showed me, like the stuff that happened was so fascinating. Like, like people dying, people becoming kings, people waging wars it was fascinating um but it's a game i've never been able to get into once again because of my ineptitude at strategy games god i'm so bad at this um (laughs) but it is the wonderful pc game crusader kings 2 chris please tell me why the next game you're taking with you is crusader kings 2 
you've you've done yourself a disservice there, Liam. It, the reason you haven't got into Crusader Kings two isn't anything to do with your ineptitude. It's that it's fucking awful at introducing new players. In fact, for a long time, it didn't even have a proper tutorial. Um, and in when it came out in twenty twelve, it did not have what you would class as a good tutorial. Um, the game has con- has consistently been developed since then, and they they've eventually got around to actually figuring out. You know what? Maybe let's teach new players how to do this this whole very complex grand strategy thing um just a little bit i guess uh, but it, it's it's notoriously bad at, at at first impressions because crusader kings 2 is basically one big spreadsheet but it's a very cool <laughs> spreadsheet as it, like if you can get past that initial oh my god this looks awful it's one of the greatest games i've ever played and um it's it is a grand strategy game it's also a, just a um not quite the level of Dwarf Fortress, but it is an extremely complex simulation as much as anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you start off in the tradition. If you play a normal game, you start off in the Middle Ages. Usually, you'll go for like 1066, and you play through to uh, 1450 something. And the uh, if you think about that time period, obviously that's that's going to be multiple generations. You, you no one's going to live that long, and and that is what the game is about. You don't even play. Uh, as a country or as a region or as an empire, you actually Crusader Kings Two is always about the dynasty or the family. So you you pick a family to to play as, and uh, that like that does some really really interesting things because so like there isn't really an end goal um, as such, but most people tend to like play a game in which they try and um, they'll even set themselves an objective to conquer a certain area or to control a certain area or to just paint the map their colour as much as possible. That's often what we do in big strategy games like this. And you can totally do that. However, the thing about uh, Crusader Kings 2 is that you could be the the king of Sweden, for example. Let's say you've you've spent, you know, 100 years getting your, your family, your dynasty, from being a lowly earl, so you control, like, a single region underneath a duke, underneath the king. Maybe you eventually expand your influence, become the duke, and eventually... Uh, rival the king himself, and you you take that position, and that's gonna, that's taken you an awfully long time. That's like your progress is going from earl to, to king, and it's like yes, okay, I get it. Now I'm the king of Sweden. I'm playing as Sweden, right? <laughs> You're still not playing as Sweden because your um, your king is gonna need to have children. You need an heir to the throne, but uh, that process is really really fucking messy. So not well, not the process of having children. It doesn't quite go into that detail. <laughs> But the, the process well, of like a messy process too, I've heard. Yeah, the process of getting your children to have the right titles and not to hate each other. Because let's say your king has two sons, and they both grow up as ambitious um, young like, star nobles. <laughs> yeah, because because they're they're the like they're both sons of of the king of Sweden. They've both probably been given like land to hold as they've grown up, and they've they've grown up expecting a certain lifestyle, and then. Depending on what your your sort of um, your lineage rules are, I guess, um, like often in in that time period, you'd have like the oldest son inherits all the titles, and then the second oldest son inherits fuck all, <laughs> um, and perhaps they'll be given like maybe they'll be given like an earlship or a, a dukeship or something. They'll, they'll get like they'll get they'll get like a little taste of of power, but the the oldest son gets everything. If both of those Characters. Um, so when your your king dies and your your oldest son t- 
takes over, you control the eldest son because you you always control the the sort of the the biggest character within the dynasty. I guess is the first way. And now that second son that you've been raising like yourself up until this point, and you've been looking after him, making sure that he got a good marriage, that he got a good education, and that he was given like certain prestigious roles within uh, your your kingdom. Suddenly, that second son now hates you because you're the you're his brother who's inherited everything and he's inherited by comparison nothing but he's ambitious and he knows that he has at least some kind of uh claim over over your your rule so if you died and like if you hadn't had a son yet the your brother takes the everything right that's yeah. if if you're following that kind and of that's uh, lineage not you and so you know, no, it could be if if your character dies and then the that brother takes over, that would then be you. But <laughs> this is where it gets a bit complicated and weird. You're like you're not you're playing the uh, the oldest son, and your brother could be seeking to assassinate you, or seeking to <laughs> usurp you, or maybe turn your your own like um, your own like uh, court against you. And it's everything is always very visible in uh, Crusader Kings too. Like you can always see what other people think of you. That's why I sort of described it as a bit of like a giant spreadsheet. And you can you can see your brother turning your your entire kingdom against your character. <laughs> and you got you can't really even like it, it's it's such a, a, a strange process and it really puts you in the mindset of of that time period. I think although um you start off historically accurate, everything you do after that point isn't. Uh because the the game just sort of goes into simulation mode and, and uh all the kingdoms are after their own goals, and it it, stop, it stops following like historical accuracy almost immediately. But it gives you a, 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 a taste of what that time period was like. There's also something with the fact that, like, um, say you're the king of Sweden, you always want to marry, like, other royalty around the world. That was, like, it's it's seen as unprestigious to marry, like, uh, a commoner or someone, someone that doesn't give you some kind of political weight, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but every time, say you marry, like, the... A princess from Norway. That seems like a good match because then it gives you some like like Norway's going to like you more. There's some a, a link between your families power. now. Exactly. However, that could be great short term, and like for that character, it's brilliant because now like Norway is a key ally, and you, you're you um you you're like you're bound by blood. Brilliant. But then you have like a couple of sons via that um uh via that uh, marriage, and then suddenly Norway has now got indirectly a claim on your throne and or like a, a, a reason to like back one of these sons to then take over Sweden so that Norway has more control over Scandinavia. And it's ridiculous because it's an unavoidable situation. You always have to marry into the royal families and it's always great to begin with and always long term causes you issues. And so when you hear like when you look back at like British history and see why we were always uh, warring with, um, you know, with, within what would be the United Kingdom, it was they'd always be backed up by the French or the Irish, and it's because all these families are connected, and the the sort of these these wars have been put into motion like a generation beforehand because of some stupid marriage between like royalty, <laughs> and it it's completely ludicrous, and it creates like on a gameplay basis creates loads of issues for you, and you you end up like sowing your own demise but it it it, re- it it does an amazing job of showing how ridiculous that time period was and how weird royal families are and why like just the fact that they exist like leads to conflict um, um and yeah it's it's great why on earth would you ever want to be king uh, 
just yeah, difficult I, existence. It, yeah, but like as the I player, mean, you've you want seen power. Firsthand, and... You've seen firsthand <laughs> your real life as a f- phony title on the internet <laughs> that even some people who are like, I'm going to beat Chris at XCOM. <laughs> and they're like, right? they're training not, for it, it. They're practicing it in secret. <laughs> and they're like, I'm going to take down the king. God, it really wouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, like... I, I don't know if I've done a very good job of explaining why this game is fun to play. I guess what I've really described there is why it's such a cool simulation of the time period. Well, but it's, it's I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by that, yeah, by that, that part of human history. And it, it's like the closest I've ever come to really understanding how just completely stupid it was. It's, like so many people sorry. just got like, <laughs> oh, just so many like conflicts would happen because of these like, ridiculous marriages that you only did just to impress like everyone else yeah you know, like, oh yeah i've just married a princess from norway look how great i am <laughs> it was <laughs> showing a very off weird until, period showing off until 30 years down the line when your son who is very fond of his norway cousins um exactly like turns comes, against you and, yeah. and you end up having to deal with that and there's like <laughs> Uh, but you can also do that, like, you can set up a situation where that happens, like, from the other perspective. Like, if you were playing, there's no way you could, like, marry into the Swedish family to try and, like, 100 years later, um, or 50 years later, like, stage some kind of, like, coup. It's, it is incredible um, simulation, and and one that's really easy to fall in. If you ha- like, if you have any interest in, 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 like, medieval, like, politics, which is... I, I don't know why I'm even, I mean I feel a bit embarrassed even saying that because it sounds really nerdy. I'm a massive nerd. That's just who I am. Um, <laughs> it's it's like it's the game that does that. And like if you fall into it, you fall into it hard. And you can you I already played it for like two maybe three hundred hours yeah, at this point. I had a I had a friend who a colleague of mine who when we worked at Rockstar together during our lunch breaks, obviously everyone would sort of play games or you know read books and that kind of thing. And uh, I had one friend uh, Shem. Uh, Polish localization tester who was into his strategy games, but he would play Crusader Kings 2 every day, every day, religiously. I remember for like three years solid, he was playing Crusader Kings 2 uh, just every single day. And I was always just fascinated, asking him questions about what was happening in his game. And and like he'd recap the history of the past hundred years of (laughs) what's happened in his world. I guess it is another one of those... It's not like Minecraft, it's more like Dwarf Fortress where you set some things in motion and then it kind of takes off on its own and it, it gives you these experiences of things maybe that you didn't expect or you had just no idea were coming and that kind of thing. Although you can sort of predict it in a little way because you can you can see what people are talking, uh, are saying or sure. talking about you, but you don't know who or where or what is going to happen at sort of any time and yeah stuff there are random elements to it and what i love is that the stuff that you put in motion in year zero could affect you 350 years down the line and absolutely that's in, that's incredible yeah it, it it it's it's just it's a great game for the moments when it, it goes wrong uh similar to xcom i guess because those <laughs> are always the most interesting ones like you so it's like you could have built the British Empire only to see it torn in half by like uh, two heirs to the throne or you could um, you could be controlling like you could be the king of Sweden you're having a lovely time and then suddenly your character thinks he's possessed by the devil and you've just got to deal with that until that character <laughs> dies and or like there could be like you could try to assassinate the Pope or like create your own Pope or like or, or you'll be called into a crusade on the other side of the like 
it's called Crusader Kings because of the Crusades. I should have probably mentioned that. Like, but you've got all this stuff that you're trying to do on a local level, and then suddenly the Pope's like, yeah, we're going to go and capture Jerusalem now. You better turn up, otherwise we're going to be very cross at you and maybe sort of kick you out of the church. And it's it's a game for those moments when it, like, you put into motion these plans, and you do you can have control of, like, your, your own destiny to an extent and, like, what you want your objectives to be. But there will be moments when things just go wrong. Your, your character, that you could have a king, right? You could have created this... Um, you could have captured the Swedish throne and you have a king and he's like in his early 20s and he's got a, like a wife that's a really good match and you've got all these incredible traits and like seems like the perfect character. He could have a heart attack the next day and you haven't got any heirs <laughs> and your game's over. Or like, yeah, he could, could die in like a hunting accident and you don't have control of those bits there. That's just a dice roll happening in the background. And when that stuff goes wrong, the game is interesting. Excellent. Well, you're going to have many, many stories to make and many, many heirs to assassinate <laughs> or plot behind you for many years to come uh, yeah. playing in Morrowind. Um, but we're going to move on now to another strategy game on our second sort of train stopper strategy games. And this one is more of a, this is an all out war at the time. It's just go for it. Tactics, be on your guard, go and throw tons of soldiers at each other and just to have loads of fun um not so much spreadsheet and not so much planning maybe um so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it next game on Chris's list is a game that was originally released for PC all the way back in 2004. It was uh, released and created by the Creative Assembly, the Total War, and uh, those wonderful people in the UK who make some incredible games. It was originally published by Activision, uh, now under the Sega sort of brand. It's been released for other platforms like iOS, and it's a real-time turn-based strategy uh, that you can pause, so it's not so much real time, <laughs> but it is under the Total War series, and it's a game I haven't played. Uh, I've played Total War uh, Shogun, which is my only sort of entry point into this series, um, but I've heard this game is incredibly popular with fans of the series. So the next game on Chris's list is Rome Total War. Chris, please tell me why you're taking this game with you. So this is um, so so with the XCOM decision, I ended up picking the, the the game that I thought was best, even though my fondest memories are for the original game because it's sort of what introduced me to to that series. With Rome Total War, I've sort of done the opposite of that. I, the Total War series has has continued um, on a, a very regular basis, like and and more recently with the the Warhammer stuff, and yep. it's it's 
perhaps in the best health it's ever been. But for me, Rome Total War was was where it it all started. I think a lot of people like yourself um, fell in love with with Shogun Total War. I think I just missed that one, and I've I. There's something about the like Rome, the Roman Empire period that always really appealed to me, and this is the Total War game that that I think the reason I I fell in love with strategy games probably um, goes all the way back to this actually, and yeah, so Total War is so sort of like Crusader Kings two, you you control uh, in 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 Rome Total War you control do very specifically control a nation um, or a faction, and then you're less worried about the individual characters to an extent. Uh, but there's a there's a similar thing there. Like your your goal is usually to like paint the map your color to to invade and conquer. And as you said, this is a little less to do with the sort of uh, politics and the diplomacy that became more and more important as the series went on and does play a role here. But really, this this one's about the 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 second part of the title, which is Total War, and it's about the the battles themselves. So yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever played a strategy game that is come close to capturing the scale of a like a total war battle um even with shogun like you're controlling hundreds of troops and uh it, it it's so the, big it's, it yeah it's yeah. crazy one of the the best things about that um that format is that you they just do a really cool thing where you can zoom in all the way to look at an individual sh- soldier like fighting for his life in the middle of the battle <laughs> and you can very rapidly spin the mouse wheel and be surveying the entire thing and you so much that you can't see faces or individuals anymore. You just see this sprawling mass of, of people. And uh, yeah, it just the I played I played RTS games where you can um, control hundreds of units, sure. But I, I've never played one that that makes you feel like you can you can go from that very individual moment to the big picture. And it's it's just it's a fantastic series. The it, it's had its issues with AI, as we've seen over the years. It's never quite figured out naval battles, and sieges are always a bit weird, but it's still it's still special. And, uh, yeah, I've, I, I've played every every Total War game since then, and I think it will just be the series that I always end up going back to. So, uh, you said you played Shogun Total War, right? Yeah, you, so uh, like Shogun Total War and Shogun Total War 2. Did, uh, did you like them? Uh, I really enjoyed Shogun Total War 2 because I this was that came out when I was in university and um I I think I just purchased a brand new PC like it was the first time I bought like a, a PC I put together myself and uh one of the games I wanted to test out was you know Shogun the Total War being able to simulate these huge massive battles and seeing how it handled on my PC and stuff and I really got into it for a while. I was very bad at it. it <laughs> I I'm coming to realize that the, the, doing final games is proving to me that there's just some games I'm always going to be bad at. But <laughs> being someone who now I live in Japan, um I've always been fascinated with Japanese culture, not so much, you know, anime and video yeah, games sure. as I always have, but literal Japanese culture, Japanese history, the Edo period, and the, the coming into like the Showa period and stuff like that, um, and you know, sort of just the aesthetic and the choosing an emperor and all that kind of stuff was oh, it was immensely fascinating to me. It 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 bit at the the history I've been I'm interested in. Um, so yeah, I, really I think that's a really it. important part of it. Yeah, yeah, picking picking the the setting that you the the format has has changed over the year and progressed and and. Um, you know, they, they fleshed out a lot of it, but the basic setup is still the same. There are two halves of the game. There's the campaign map where you 
build cities and uh, train troops and move them around the map. Um, and then there's the battles themselves. And that format's always always been the same. So really, I, I've always said, like, with Total War, you don't have to even play the, the most recent example. You should just pick the one which with the setting that interests you the most. Like, if you don't yeah. like the, fa- the Warhammer stuff, like Rome 2, Shogun 2... Uh, See, I like missed medieval too. I miss Warhammer, but I wanted to get into it. I think it's because it came out while I was here in Japan, and I my laptop is just not powerful enough to run yeah, it. That's, so I that have, is it's. Oh, sorry, go on. As someone who is was into like Warhammer back in the day, uh, that was like I really want to play that. Like I'm I'm really looking forward to Dawn of War. Um, that is the kind of strategy game I would get into because of that aesthetic reason like it is a universe i already know maybe it's not the gameplay i'm good at but it it is always more appealing when you have some sort of connection to the aesthetic or the history or um something that bites at you in that kind of way but it's it's going back to what you said a second ago about you don't necessarily need to play one of the more updated versions and um the sort of Gameplay being the same throughout each sort of version, just picking the aesthetic you like. Uh, what is it about Rome Total War that you would choose over, say, Rome Total War 2 then? Oh, man, I mean, I think this is the thing. Like, I think 2 is actually, like, if you play them both now, 2 is actually the, the better game. I just, for some reason, I have such a... I think it's because, well, like, my entire interest in the strategy genre goes back to this game that it just feels like a special one to take along. I... I I think this is more an emotional than a, a logical chase. Uh, so this which, is, this is as it's known on Final Games, the sort of nostalgia pick then. Although you yeah, sort I of think, entied it with, you know, strategy and being able to play a game endlessly, which I think, you know, makes sense for you. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it, it was a... Yeah, I think it also has some things that, that the more recent version doesn't... I, I should say, like, the gameplay has, has certainly progressed. Like, the battles in the more recent games are bigger than they've ever been. There are... Um, there's more to them in terms of the environments that you can fight within, and the like. The way that sieges work has, has changed dramatically, and yeah, the game the game has has moved on. But I think just the basic concept, um, when you really strip it back, is is has always been the same. Um, I think one of the things I really liked about the original Rome Total War is, uh, I like it is just it is just more fun playing as one. Of, there are three Roman factions, and they, although uh, as you sort of conquer the various nations around the world you unlock them to be able to play them uh later on the game is it's most interesting when you're controlling one of the roman factions because the whole thing's built around it the so you have these three families the, uh that, that sort of split rome apart and they they all sort of the the senate um instructs each of you to to go out and conquer in the name of rome and everyone does that for the first sort of half of the game and that's how it plays out until eventually uh, like you keep getting instructions from from Rome itself to to do things. Some of them you won't want to do. It'll be like an objective to go and attack a nation you hadn't been warring with yet, and it's inconvenient for you to do that. But if you don't, then Rome's going to be pissed off. And so more and more they they dictate what you want to do, um, and uh, and more and more becoming a sort of inconvenience for you until a certain point when you you get so large, you've conquered so much territory and you have so much influence that Rome itself sees you as a threat. And there's this amazing moment that I didn't know was going to happen the first time I played, in which Rome turns on you as the largest Roman family, and the other two families uh, typically at that point join in, and you're you're then fighting against Rome itself, 
which is <laughs> like up until that point, the, shit, the sort of everything to you. When shit really hits the fan. <laughs> yeah, and like if you're not expecting that, which I wasn't in the first place, like all my armies were on the frontiers of my empire. I never thought about Rome being a threat itself. And so suddenly I'm racing back, like uh, leaving my actual borders with, with other nations vulnerable as I race back to go and deal with like... Uh, yeah, like what's going on back home, which is really what tore like the Roman Empire apart in the end. Like the these rivalries between the great families and the distrust between the like the mighty generals and the Senate, and that and 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 it captures that moment really nicely in a way that I don't think Rome too ever actually really managed in the same way. Um, I'm not sure why, and it's. It yeah stands out in my mind as one of the like one of the moments when I was playing. I was like, oh my god, games are amazing! Like what I I did not see that coming, and it's punishing me so badly <laughs> for like doing what the game had told me to do. And now suddenly it's had, the rug has been pulled from underneath me, and that's exactly what Rome was like. I and I yeah, it always stands out as as like a classic for me because because of that. And it was yeah, it was the first sort of war game I'd ever played, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. I'd never been able to control such like large armies and and. Um, you're right though it, like even then it was a benchmark test like I could bear, just about run it and even today <laughs> like with Warhammer if you like play one of the largest battles just on the highest settings you still need a good rig like it's it's never quite got over that um, but you know if you if you can if you can take that hit you, you get to experience something really incredible excellent and I actually I don't, I don't think it's too intimidating I, I, people say this a lot about Total War um, I think the pause button is incredibly useful. People don't think about the pause button enough sometimes when they first start playing. They treat it like a normal RTS. Yeah. Screw that. And like some like Total War like purists won't ever pause. That's just that's fine. Whatever. Pause the game. Look at everything. That's what it's and there you for. Kind of figure out. That's yeah. The, the game for. is actually one big complex version of rock paper scissors. Like um, cavalry will always beat like normal infantry, but spearmen will beat cavalry, and you'll usually want to use archers against infantry because you can outrun them. But cavalry can chase them down. Like it's there are all these rules that once you learn them, you can sort of you can think a little bit less about individual units, and some of them are exceptions to that rule. Um, but you can sort of like even if you're not familiar with an army, you can sort of go, oh, okay, well that's the normal infantry bit, so I want to use my archers against those, and then maybe swing my cavalry around here to get their ranged units, and you can break it down into pieces, and I think, I think once you get that 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 idea, it stops being quite as intimidating. So if that's ever been the reason why people haven't played Dota War, try it with that in mind. I'm gonna definitely give when once I get back into the realms of being able to play or run Total War games on my PC, then I'm definitely gonna give it a go <laughs> because they always appeal to me. They just always these types of games these strategy or simulation games that can almost tell you stories that you never expected have always been games that fascinate me intensely um for multiple reasons i really like history and the aesthetics and all that sort of stuff and being able to sort of relive those battles or mm, take charge in such epic uh you know important parts of history has always been fascinating so i'm gonna have to give it a give it a second chance one day but we are going to move in to the last, uh, the second to last game, sorry, not the last, the second to last game now on Chris's list. And we're stepping away from history, but sticking with simulations. Um, <laughs> I'm so boring. I'm yeah. so boring. <laughs> Chris definitely likes his simulations. He likes being able to control these worlds um, <laughs> and being the manipulator, the puppeteer of all of these battles and and 
now life sims so we're gonna listen to some music with this next game and let's just dive straight into the second to last game Chris's list. The second to last game is a game developed um, and designed by iconic game designer Will Wright. It was originally developed by Maxis and published by EA. It released on PC back in 2000 and has since spawned multiple sequels and multiple spin-offs and expansion after expansion after expansion. Um, it's the strategic life simulation video game The Sims. Chris we're stepping away from making people fight each other and uh, making people all go into large scale battles to now you say that t- well, well <laughs> to now uh, hopefully making people stay alive and building them a house and making them get married and get a job and that kind of thing chris <laughs> the sims is the next game on your list why are you taking the sims i wouldn't like i haven't got i haven't got a huge amount to say about this game other than the fact that i just think i think if i was trapped on a was trapped on a deserted island region Morrowind themed area. I think I just need one game to get really weird about. Like I think I'm not sure if it'd be healthy, but I feel like it would be it would sort of be the the thing to keep me going out there. And I think The Sims is the perfect one for that because it's inherently a very very strange game. And uh yeah, just the the I I need one game where I can just basically make a bunch of characters that I would probably after some years start to treat as real people and perhaps even my friends and then sort of trap them in swimming pools and uh, just like make them get married and then perhaps like uh, just just have really boring lives or really interesting lives or whatever I was feeling <laughs> on that day I'd just get weird about the ultimate the ultimate end game which is just to make sure your sims live a happy and boring life <laughs> yeah it's it's such a strange game I, I i i'm a big fan of the sims and have played a, a yeah i think every version so far and it's it shouldn't work like it, as a as a pitch it sounds so boring because we we usually um we think about playing games as a way to escape into these fantastical worlds and almost every other game that i've mentioned so far um has has captured that in some way like it's it's about leaving behind my deserted uh Morrowind life and entering something more grand or exciting and The Sims is not that it's like the opposite of that it's it's a game to some extent about the the mundane moments in a person's life and I it's insanely popular and I really like it and I still don't understand either of those things really that much 
<laughs> is this is the Sims more difficult to you than like uh, controlling an army? <laughs> I no, I don't think it's difficult. I think and I think it's actually like the keeping the characters alive and and progressing them through their jobs and setting up their relationships is all pretty straightforward. I think um, it's just it's it's one of those games that you can you can just have a lot of fun with by just doing like strange things like so, people have done horrible horrible things to, say, to sims over the years so one of the things that's happened on final games when we talk about the sims is everyone seems to have a funny sim story or a really creepy one but a sim story like something that always sticks out in their mind that they've experienced while playing the sims and you know i think the whole theme of your final games has been about strange experiences that happen in video games that maybe you don't or can't predict and uh putting things in place that just then happen involuntarily without your sort of permission i guess um do you have like a funny sim story or like something that's happened i'm not sure if i even do i used to play i always used to like make myself and perhaps like my family when i played it and then would try and like keep it fairly like fairly close to what the real life situation was except i'd usually make myself more successful and perhaps more handsome and taller than, than I was in real life. Um, I've I've just always like I I don't know. I feel I feel like in this in in a if I'm trapped somewhere for for that period of time, I'm gonna end up like I'm gonna need to create some kind of imaginary friends, whether that's like with inanimate objects, like in real life, like maybe I befriend a a rock or a stick, like that could be an option, like someone to talk to. I feel like an easier way of doing that would just to create them in The Sims and then just sort of steadily lose my mind over the course of a few decades <laughs> as as I grow closer and closer to them. At least you'll um, be able to sort of make as many friends as you want. Like you have an endless yeah. amount of friends. So you can do the whole Wilson thing, but not lose I, them. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's good to know that, like, I think it's it's worth knowing that I, I will lose my mind in this situation. So at least <laughs> let's accommodate it in the best, best yeah. way possible. Dude, you have, you know, if you're willing to be accustomed to it and um you're putting things in place to help deal with it i i, I all all the power to you all the power to you um so this yeah. is this is really opening like a sort of a, a doorway into the darker side of final games like in which you know that by sending these people to to these places that they will inevitably just lose their minds i know and it's um, it's even more that's just cruel. something you're going to have to deal with liam it's even more cruel the fact that i give them all of these fantasy worlds in which they can even more lose their brain to and the perception of reality just <laughs> the lines will blur <laughs> yeah god damn it i'm a horrible person um but we are now going to move on to your final game as you said there's not really much to be said about the sims it is what it is it's, yeah i just get super weird i get real real weird i'm gonna get that, that's that's, that, that's the plan that's gonna be on your that's gonna be on your grave on the eye on <laughs> in morrowind it's gonna be like things got, got weird. really weird about the sims <laughs> things got weird dot 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 parentheses died by cliff racer <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to move on now to Chris's final game. And it's coming back onto the real-time strategy video game again. But it's a very... I, it's almost one of the the more influential of the oh, yeah, absolutely. RTSs. And spawning mods that developed entire genres which have sort of overtaken 
parts of the video game industry at this point and have major, major competitive money in them as well. So let's listen to some music from Chris's final game. Last game then on Chris's list today is a game that's developed by the one and only Blizzard Entertainment, published by also Blizzard. It was directed by Frank Pierce, written by unfortunately now now retired Chris Metzen. It was released all the way back in 2002. It's for PC. It's the high fantasy real time strategy game, the third in the series. Um, people sort of forget about the first two because of this game specifically. Mm -hmm. It then inspired an MMO that just dominated the world. It is, of course, Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos. Chris, please tell me why the final game you're taking with you, once again, another strategy game, is Warcraft 3. God, it is one of the most influential games ever. Not Like, as you mentioned, not only did it lead to, uh, instead of a, a sequel to Warcraft 3, as, as many expected, it led to the largest MMO we've ever seen in World of Warcraft. Yeah. Um, but it also, yeah, the, the the reason I've picked this game in particular is for the custom maps, um, which I'm, I'm not going to cheat here. It sounds like I'm cheating, uh, but I used to play a, a huge amount um, when I was younger. I, I always, I, the single player campaign is, is a good RTS campaign. The mul multiplayer was... Um, was interesting, but like similar to StarCraft Two, I always found a little bit too um, overpowering. Uh, just because I couldn't wrap my head around build orders and uh, yeah, sort of reaction time that was needed. I fell in love with the custom maps, and they. Uh, but that was basically the map editor for Warcraft Three was um, pretty much just given wholeheartedly to the community. I think it's it might even be the same map editor that was used for a lot of the. The missions themselves, and as a result, just amazing things were created. Not like uh, an interesting one is the the MOBA genre. Um, yeah, pretty much started in Warcraft Three, the Defense of the Ancients um, map that uh, would eventually inspire League of Legends and Dota Two, yep. and create a genre that has now almost replaced the RTS genre, which is a, a weird <laughs> thought because it started in an RTS game. Um, it also tower defense, pretty much like made its name and became popular in Warcraft 3's custom maps and that in itself is a, a huge and, and really appealing genre. And I think what I yeah, I, I, I spent I spent just so much time sort of I didn't even realise when I purchased the game, I was still at the stage where I just sort of bought games that looked fun. It had a big picture of an orc on it. And um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, That's and a good reason to buy a video game, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it still, still is the reason why I buy a lot of them, if I'm honest. <laughs> Um, but within within this game, like buried in the background somewhere, was this like almost infinite supply of other games that I'd never even like from genres that I hadn't even thought about or adaptations of things that I loved. Like uh, the Risk board game had a really popular um, like custom map that that someone had basically made Risk on within the Warcraft Free Engine. People did just so many creative things, and I guess. Well, I'm not really allowed to take any of their custom maps with me, I guess, in this world, because that would be from other people. And even then, I wouldn't really be able to play with other people because that would be against your, your rules. I just did well, quotation marks. Well, no, we, we, when we'd I allow you to play the multiplayer. We allow you to do that. And we allow you to have Oh, really? Things. It's just that you can't... I can't communicate. You can't communicate with these people. Okay, so I can't, like, form my, uh, <laughs> my soldiers into a sort of formation that... Vaguely reads the world help, for example. No, be... I, no, you, I mean, if you could possibly do that, that would be ridiculous and <laughs> worthy of maybe rescue. But you have no way of like voice chatting. You can't okay, chat that's fine. and that kind of stuff. Oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah, then the um, yeah the the custom maps uh, and the community around it was was unlike anything else. I also really like the idea of um, I've always been interested in in game design, but I don't think I really have the the aptitude for it um but i think i could i think I'd, i could have a stab at creating custom maps and in within that some kind of games with using that map editor and i uh i think that's probably the safest easiest place for me to try my hand at making little gaming experiences because this stuff ah, oh, you it was just such an amazing time i remember i just remember i think it was uh my entire like college days were spent listening to the Stadium Arcadium <laughs> uh, album on repeat whilst just playing count, uh, like custom maps from Walker Free for hours and hours. And I didn't even really fall into like, it wasn't even Defense of the Ancients that got me. Like I didn't even realize that was a big deal until after I stopped playing Walker Free. So I was really had my, my thing on the pulse. Like I played it a few times. I was like, you know what? That's all right. Like I maybe... Maybe that'll uh, be a thing one day. Yeah, maybe maybe that'll yeah. take off. In the background, of... it was just becoming like the biggest like <laughs> game genre in the world. I yeah, I was completely out of touch with that. I, there was just like I'm just gonna uh, go back the, to the tower, RTS tower defense stuff. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, the the tower defense maps that people would make were amazing. You'd have to create this these huge like mazes of towers for your um, for the the waves of enemies to run through. But it was a multiplayer thing, so everyone had these little mazes. Um, that they'd have to create and everyone had different takes on what the best way to, to like you uh, the the if you are making a, a tower defense game where you have sort of control a lot of control over where you place the towers it's all about like slowing down the enemies as much as possible so making them run the furthest distance before they get out of your area and have to go on to the next person yeah and there was a there's a whole thing about like who could do like the best kind of spiral and, and wh- which towers to put where and like the most efficient way to play tower defense and I just fell into that so hard. Like I and there were so many different um takes on that. Like it wasn't just one tower defense custom map. There were hundreds of them. And some of them came from like authors that, like that you thought of them as like uh yeah, like the authors of these maps because they'd often put their name on the loading screen and, and sort of um take credit for it. And uh the that that's in fact a lot of the guys that made the original Dota 
uh, custom map and kept it updated now either work for Riot Games or League of Legends or yeah because uh, for Valve on Dota 2 yeah because uh, Ice Frog who is like the lead, yeah. he was like the lead designer behind Dota and was like the long serving sort of yeah. updater of it he, he was the lead designer on Dota 2 so still yeah he still, still is and, and yeah. the amazing thing about Ice Frog is um, something I'm fascinated by is that no one knows what he looks like he works at Valve, and he's like, and oh, no one knows his like his identity's never been. It's never confirmed. It's never been confirmed. A lot of people, yeah. have good guesses at who it is, yeah. uh, given the people that work there, and and um, I, but he's never done an official interview. He's never really um, cared about the public life, and yet Valve tracked him down and and have him like as the lead on its hugely successful. Well, it's like, weird, isn't uh, it? Follow-up. Like, imagine being responsible for. A genre now, a competitive genre of video games that literally has millions and millions and millions of dollars pumped yeah. into it. Oh, it's on a, a, it's insane. And it, it's it's not like having invented a game. It's like having invented. Uh, and in fact, he didn't in, even invent Dota. He was just as you said, one of the longer running, yeah. um, sort of so uh, just custodians of it. Yeah. But he, it's like it's like being in charge of like football, but you can change the rules of football <laughs> like whenever you want. Exactly and that's going to have like. an impact on an entire it's, industry. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an impact on millions of people. Like League of, Le- League of Legends has the biggest player base in the world. And mm-hmm. it's like the rules and the way that game is played is because of some design ideas that this dude and a few other dudes had a couple of years ago. Yeah, Not even oh, that long ago, insane. like just over 10 years ago. It's like, it's like what? Yeah, to get, give people context, League of Legends... Um, it's thought to have more active players per month, as in like people that log in at least once a month and play a game, than the entire population of the United Kingdom. It is, it is such a force to be reckoned with, yep. and one that like we, a lot of people find uh, very intimidating and, and uh, hard to follow. And yet, is this huge thing? And it all started from like we didn't even call them mods back then; they were called custom maps for Warcraft Three and its expansion. Yeah, because like and map sort of map almost does it a disservice. You just think, oh, so I just laid yeah, out yeah. some environments, or uh, and just like, oh, here you go. I've changed the mountains about, and the trees have been placed. No, it's like it, Dota. Like what was it? It was called like Dota All Stars. I think was the the custom. Yeah, that map. was it. So. It started as Defense of the Ancients, and I think when it might even be when Ice Frog took over, it became Dota All Stars. Yeah, and that's when it sort of started to pick up a more competitive, like actual tournaments were happening. Yeah, and it's like the it, it was it had just had different game mechanics, like completely different game mechanics to Warcraft Three. It's just yeah, that the like, custom co- maps allowed you to create scenarios in which you could manipulate the sort of AI and the and the what the player did to interact with that map and stuff. So. Yeah, I think custom maps is, as you said, sort of not right. It's it's yeah, it's, it's weird. Is it? it makes you makes you think that it's like oh, so they took like one of like the missions from the main game and they sort of like messed around with the terrain a bit or added some new units and now it's a custom map. Like it's a same it's a map that they've customized, but it's actually like, like that's maybe how um, it started in the the early sort of weeks and months after the launch but it, it very quickly transitioned to people just making brand new games within it and uh like still having to use the walker free engine and that was a limitation but doing just just so much amazing stuff with it and <laughs> uh, yeah i i really like some of my fondest times playing games are 
or with that whilst listening to Stadium Arcadium, which is, <laughs> I, God, I'm, I'm just... G- I'm, I'm going to give you... You could have picked a cooler guess. I'm going to give you Stadium Arcadium to take with you, just for nostalgia Okay, purposes. all right, okay, that's good. Okay, you but can, only when I play Warcraft 3. Yeah, only when you play Warcraft 3. Like, there's going to be some files... Yeah, there's going to be a mod. There's going to be a Warcraft 3 mod that essentially is just Warcraft 3, but with the Stadium Arcadium album playing on loop in the background. <laughs> okay, well, that's I like that. That's, so you, I, I appreciate you've given me an arcade cabinet for Tetris and you've given me Stadium Arcadium. Stadium for... Arcadium, so you can listen to such great hits as Danny California and Snow and all those wonderful <laughs> Red Hot yeah. Chili Pepper songs that maybe are not as famous as the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's very very fair that's very fair <laughs> but i think it is now time to send you to the deserted place chris i'm so sorry because <laughs> it's been so enjoyable talking with you about all these wonderful experiences you've had with video games and the reasons as to why you're taking the games that you have chosen um but we do have to send you to morrowind to play these games, <laughs> um, which in itself uh, is a weird sentence, I know. <laughs> why did I pick Morrowind? It's so brown and there are just loads of large mushrooms. It's gonna, um, it's gonna look very Gears of War-y. Um, it's gonna yeah. look, very, look very brown, very grey. I should have picked Skyrim. Skyrim's got green and lakes and and that's like, true. Forests and oh, I, I think, ab- I think, ab- I think like ab- Oblivion and sort of uh, what's what's the world of Oblivion called? Cyrodiil. Cyr- Cyrodiil. Is that right? I think yeah, so. The, but, but that's very green. I think that's the luscious. That's the yeah, the yeah. You're right. Yeah, a lot Skyrim of Skyrim has snowy. a lot of snow in it, so. Yeah. Okay. You're absolutely right. But it's fine. I'm in the brown mushroom yeah, kingdom. Yeah. You can go to Morrowind. Right. You have to. I told you. If you stray from the path, it's like you're literally like Frodo. If you if you walk on the path, <laughs> you're gonna get eaten by something. So you, it's yeah. up to you to stay safe. So you can play the rest of these games. You can play um, Warcraft three and also Dota. You can play the mm-hmm. Dota mod too. Um, there's probably still hundreds of thousands of people who still play that mod to this very day, which is quite Yeah, incredible. I'm sure. Um, but Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for inviting me. It's, yeah, it's, I'm sorry my list was a bit um, dweebish, but I... <laughs> you're, in, yeah. you're in good company. You're in good company. I'm okay. sure the people who are listening are like, no, no, no. No, no, this it's fine. I had, I had Tetris. Everyone likes te- everyone likes Tetris. <laughs> That's like an easy win. But this, I think this is going to be really difficult for you. There is one last question I have to ask you that I ask every single guest, and I, I am going to break your heart here as well. And that is, <laughs> we talk about games a lot on Final Games, as everyone knows. Um, but one of the things that makes gaming so special sometimes is the hardware and the ability yep. to play games, right? And mm-hmm. The last question is that if you could take any console. Oh, what? See, you've already. Now, could, could you not say, could you change that word to platform? Can you just, see, could the, you just tweak the, that word to platform? Because the rule is you can't take PC. <laughs> because you well, can. That's, because you that's can. Because you can emulate every console on PC. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't take PC. But if you could take any console, and I, I'm going to say platform minus PC. So you, okay. I'll say platform. Um, you could take any, thinking of the back catalog and the, the sort of experiences you have with that console, maybe the controller, the UI, the way it works. Um, you can take it with you. What would it be? Man, just looking through the games that I picked. So XCOM 2 and Minecraft both can work on consoles. Yeah, both. Dwarf Fortress, not so much. Crusader no. Kings 2, not so much. But Run you've already War. got these games. Nah. You already have, okay. All right. you already have these games. You have the ability to play these games. Okay. It's just if you think All of right. other strategy games, 
you might have to think of the ones that are on console. So you've got stuff mm-hmm. like Halo Wars, um, uh, it's not great. Civilization Revolution. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's okay. That's it's a good right. game. Um, but yeah, no, the, the think, options are limited. I think, uh, strangely enough, the best experience I've had with a console was the Xbox 360. So if I was to make a, I don't want to get too boring and get too logical about it. So I'm going to go for the emotional one here, which is is that. And in fact, a game that I, I wonder if I put should have even had on my list because it's it is one of. Uh, yeah, one of the, the best times I've had playing video games was a Christmas morning getting an Xbox 360 and playing Halo 3. Um, like the that That's one of the, the multiplayer shooters other than Overwatch more recently that I've really, uh, ju- I, I, yeah, properly fallen into and and just adored the, the mechanics of. And yeah, that, that console was, was a special one. I think it was the first one that got me into, like that tore me away from PC gaming for the first time. Well, and I think I think I'd go for the Xbox 360. Also, it just has a really good controller. Like even now, it's just a yeah. fantastic controller and one that we like still use on the PC. If it's also if need. it's also one of the modern, the most recent consoles that has an incredible back catalog of video games, an yeah. absolute incredible and extensive um, list of games to play as well. So the Xbox 360 is yours to take. You can enjoy some more Halo. Uh, when you need a break from all the planning, as the strategy king, you need to let your, <laughs> you need to let your brain rest a little and um, take a change and try something different. But yes, we have come to the end of Final Games now, and we are sending Chris on his way. Um, but before you go, Chris, please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet and what of your work they should be checking out. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I work for a website called Eurogamer, and I'm mostly on their video team so you can find most of the stuff I do on youtube.com slash Eurogamer um, and yeah I, I think we mentioned it earlier on but the series I'm most proud of at the moment is one called Here's a Thing which tells sort of weird and uh, sometimes unimportant sometimes important stories about games and how they were made <laughs> and why people play them uh, and yeah if, I guess if you wanted one that sort of links to this this episode of the podcast best that might be the, the more recent one on why Dwarf Fortress started killing cats, which I I still feel bad about how often I keep talking about dead cats, um, but it, it's sort of a quite an important part of that of that story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that would be that would be where to find me. And if you're on Twitter, I guess that's where I post a lot of what I'm doing as well, which is Bratters. And that's that's about it, I think. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you. And just these wonderful experiences you have have inspired me to look at strategy games and maybe give them a second try and get over the hump of my own skill and um, trying to get back <laughs> into them. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. As always, you can find Final Games on the internet. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Acast and Stitcher and all those podcasting networks. Just search for Final Games. If you're on iTunes and you want to leave us a review or rate us, please do. It really does help out. And we've had some recently that have been great. And they always give that little confidence boost um, to the one-man team that is myself on the show. So thank you so much for that. You can also find us on Twitter. You can find the show at Final Game Show. And you can also find me at Liam BME. We also have a new Discord channel um, for specifically about Final Games, so some people who listen to Final Games can chat and talk with me about video games, what you're up to, and all that kind of thing. So if you're interested in chatting and Discord, if it's something you already do, you can find the Discord link 
on the final games twitter uh if you can't find it just message me and i will send it to you so come join us come talk about video games uh come talk about this episode and maybe we can talk about strategy games and stuff like that <laughs> so thank you once again for listening to final games and i hope to see you again next week goodbye <laughs>